here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Wrestling podcast. I'm Rich Krejci, alongside, as always, Mr. Joe Landa. Joe, how are you doing? Okay, that's not going to work. That from that is not Uh-oh. an introduction befitting of a man of my stature. We're going to try that again. Okay. Okay. And this is how I want to be introduced on the show <laughs> from now on. Okay. The original Rudo on the Joe Landa uh, on the heels of my appearance on BBC Radio. I think. That from now on, I think I should be introduced as internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist <laughs> Joe Lanza. Okay, so go ahead and, and introduce me as internationally acclaimed broadcast. Okay, I'll just start it all over. I'll do countdown and Sorry, everything. I'm going to keep this Joe all Lanza. in, but I'm going to redo the countdown. Okay. Okay, let's do this again. You good? Yeah, go. Be quiet. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Podcast. I'm Rich Craig, alongside, as always, the guru of ga- uh, grappling. What are you, the international? I, what was it again? I'm sorry, I, I blanked. This is this is international broadcast journalist superstar. What was it? I am an internationally acclaimed international internationally acclaimed okay. broadcast who, journalist. Who, who's acclaimed you internationally? I listen when BBC Radio, a a, a worldwide medium, yeah. needed it. Which you had to ask people, hey, is this a big deal? By the way, when they needed expert to break down <laughs> the Hulk Hogan situation, they could have gotten in touch with Dave Meltzer. Mm-hmm. They could have gotten in touch with Wade Keller. They could have gotten in touch with Mike Johnson. They could have gotten in touch with Brian Alvarez. They could have gotten... Well, well nah. <laughs> They could have gotten in touch with Aubrey Sitterson. Uh-huh. They could Mike have gotten... Semper-Vivi. Mike Sempervivi. They could have... Carl Stern. Carl Stern. They could have called Deshaun the hot tub guy. But Rich... They didn't contact. They did. Are you sure they didn't call? They probably contacted the hot tub. They guy. didn't contact any of those men. <laughs> they contacted Joe 
Joe Lanza, internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist Joe Lanza, to get my keen insight on the Hulk Hogan situation. And let me tell you, millions and millions of listeners listen to me break down that situation in perfect form. So, as such, I believe I should be introduced as internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist Joe Lanza. I think that's fair. Um, yeah. <laughs> so from now on, that's okay. how I would like to be properly introduced on the show. By everybody? Like, even in your in your normal life or just by me? Hey, listen, you know, uh, this is separate from my, my work life, okay? I, I've okay. got my own introductions and titles that I have for my work life. Believe me, my ego is no smaller in my private life. But when, it, when, you know, when I do podcast appearances, if, if people want to mm-hmm. book me, and listen, I'm booked pretty tight, so you got to get in early if you want to book <laughs> internationally acclaimed broadcast journalist Delance. The guru, of, uh, the guru of grappling as well. That's right, because you never know when the BBC is going to come calling again. Or, That's true. You know, so... Um, and it was very nice, I'll tell you, in the ensuing... How was your your appearance on the Roddy Piper death? How was that all worked out? Uh, I was busy. They couldn't... Uh, ah, but, okay. but I'll tell you, I, 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 it was nice to see a couple days later um, CNN invite Dave Meltzer on, on their news program <laughs> because, listen, Dave works very hard and Dave is very good at what he does and I, he deserved to be thrown a bone. Don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, so oh, absolutely. It was very nice of CNN to, to give someone else a shot, but, um, you know... It's, it's, I think, a man of, of my stat who, who has risen uh, to the elevations that I have risen to. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, listen, it, it, that's an international uh, – BBC is, a, is an international – right? So is there anything untrue about the statement internationally acclaimed? Uh, the acclaimed. I don't know about acclaimed. I mean international maybe. Acclaimed, I don't Rich, know. Rich, I'm very popular. Uh, listen, <laughs> this, this show is a very big deal in the wrestling podcast world, and I'm a very popular uh, podcast personality. I don't think you could deny that. This is the worst thing that could ever so happen to you. I, <laughs> this is just the worst. Listen, we you're already bad. You're already bad. This is not going to be Voices good. Voicesofwrestling.com was plugged to millions of listeners that morning. I don't we see did it. We did have a rise. We did have a rise in the UK as well. There you go. See, we got a nice... A pretty substantial rise of, of, of viewers and listeners and hits to the website right after that. Immediately, I was I was watching it real time, and it was it was pretty cool to see. Listen, and, and that was a, a tremendous performance out of yours truly. Uh, helped help bump those numbers. So, I listen, I don't think it's unfair. I'm international. I'm highly acclaimed. And I'm a broadcast journalist. What about that is untrue? I think it's all true. <laughs> and I'll tell you what. We're going to do a big-time podcast here because we missed a week. Got a lot to talk about. It, and I'm going to prove it all over again. So let's get into it. A lot of it. pressure. All right. Well, we, uh, we asked people on Twitter today because we have a lot of topics, a lot of big topics. And we asked people on Twitter, what, what do you guys want us to talk about first? We have Ultima Lucha. We got the G1. We got you know, some WWE stuff floating around. We got you know, uh, tons of stuff in Japan, different promotions, different organizations, different things, different news. We asked, and the fans spoke, and of course – because our fans are the worst, they want to talk Wrestle 1. Uh, Why would they want Wrestle 1? One? One but, I mean, I'm glad they do. One of the trademarks of the Voices of Wrestling <laughs> really podcast is burying the people that listen to it. And it <laughs> I think this is, is enough evidence, though. It took us less than five minutes to call the listeners the worst. Um, <laughs> but Rich is telling the truth. I, I put out. I mean, of all things, you want Wrestle 1 for And they like overwhelming majority want Wrestle 1 for I, there was like a few Ultima Luchas, but the overwhelming majority were like, no, you guys got to talk Wrestle 1. Listen, Rich is... Which would make... What would this mark? The third time we've led off with Wrestle 1 ever? I don't ever? think we've ever led off with Wrestle Have we? No, we did uh, that, that uh, about two months ago or so. What, did, what was the story? During then? the midst of the Hideki Suzuki uh, 
title reign to end all title reigns that we're going to talk oh, about. Wait a minute, that was... wasn't the lead off, was it? I know. We I believe it did. Yeah, I believe we let off with it. Yeah. Hmm. We were so excited about it that day. I don't know why. I mean, it was. I don't know. I, 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 couldn't possibly I don't know. know. I'm going to have to research. I'm pretty this. sure we let that. I'm, I'm almost positive we let off. With I that. think this is a first time lead off for Wrestle One, but uh, you could be. You know, I'll have to research it. But uh, I'm, I'm almost positive we did. But that's all right. The, you know, the, the thing is, Rich is not kidding. I put out a call to the listeners. I said, look, we got a lot of big topics on the table here. OK, we got the G1. And so was a freelancer. I mean, we're going to break that down <laughs> well, overwhelming detail. That wasn't one of the options. But uh, oh. we had, we had uh, the G1. We had Ultima Lucha, which just wrapped up last night uh, as we record this. And uh, I threw the one in there. And it, we, can, we, can, we can post the proof. By an overwhelming majority, <laughs> the listeners wanted us to lead off with Wrestle 1 and their title change. So that's what we're going to do. Um, where do we even start with this? Uh, I guess a few months back we did Kadeki Suzuki. He's kind of like for people who aren't following Wrestle One, he's kind of been like a dollar store Minoru Suzuki. That fair to yeah. say? Um, he's Absolutely. Actually, yeah. He, you know, he's sort of an invader to Wrestle One. He wrestles a similar style, but probably isn't I don't know four percent as good as Minoru Suzuki. I mean, Hideki Suzuki has never been a good fair. wrestler. People, will, people um, will say the opposite, and people say he's very good and all this. And, like, he's not bad, and I, I don't mind yeah, I don't mind his overall work. But for the most part, yeah, to, to even compare him to, like, a guy like Minoru Suzuki and what he's doing in Noah, and we'll talk a little bit later about a match that Suzuki had, Minoru Suzuki had in Noah that I absolutely loved and was exactly what I would want out of Hideki Suzuki. But Hideki Suzuki just kind of rolls around for 20 minutes and then finishes the match, and then, you know. <laughs> the stuff he does in between the match, I mean, the, 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 the entrance, his post-match, that sort of stuff is awesome. In the match, he's kind of boring. I don't know. I think the people who 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 like Hideki Suzuki, I think it's kind of tongue in cheek. I don't. Is I, it? I, I've always wondered that because I, I watch and I don't quite get the same connection. He's never so been. I've always... He's never been good. I mean, he's he's ju- he's like just a guy. But um, it it kind of had it's it'd be kind of like I'm trying to think of a comparison. Like if if okay if Minoru Suzuki is Brock Lesnar, right? Like who would be the Hideki Suzuki? to like Brock Lesnar in that analogy. Mm-hmm. Would it be like Chikara? I'm trying to find a third rate. I'm trying to find like a third rate TNA champion that was really bad. How or, uh... about like, well, it would have to be like a shooter who isn't even close to as menacing as Brock Lesnar is. How Eddie about Kingston. like, how about Chikara era Tim Donst? When he was okay. Doing, when I was going to say like, Chikara era Eddie Kingston too, but that worked. Yeah. When he was wearing like the headgear and doing like the amateur wrestling gimmick. And it's like, Oh, I, I, I see. Okay, I see what angle you're going from. Okay, you know I mean, yeah, like he was like a, you know, I guess a dollar store, Brock Lesnar sort of. I, I, it, it just the bottom line is Hideki Suzuki isn't nearly as menacing as Minoru Suzuki. Isn't a fraction of charismatic as charismatic as Minoru Suzuki. Um, it's funny that they shared a last name. They they wear similar tights. They have a similar look. Um, he. And, and and look, and, and he's he's legitimately a badass man in real life. He just isn't a yes. very good pro wrestler. So um, anyway, he invades Wrestle One. He wins. He's from Zero One, by the way. If people are curious, he he wins their title in 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 not quite dominating fashion, but it was supposed to be in dominating fashion over Kai. Yeah, less than seven minutes. Taps the guy in the head after he wins. You know, which was to me one of the moments the of two thousand and fifteen. Yeah. I mean. Beats the guy for his title, walks into his promotion, beats the guy for his title, and pats him on the head after the match. I mean, that was just such an amazing touch. And Kai's reaction to that was fantastic, too. 
So what we were hoping for is he would have this incredible run where he would buzzsaw through the roster and just kill these guys left and right. And it kind of worked out that way, but kind of didn't. I mean, he played the role well, like you're saying, pre and post match, and 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 with his right. walked out with the, the best thing he did. Like if, if people haven't seen it, he would walk out with the title. He wouldn't have it like around his waist, around his shoulder. He just kind of like walked out with it and like dragging it on the ground. He would toss it in the ring, like like he basically just didn't give a fuck about anything. And that's sort of the, the attitude he had: is I'm better than all you guys. I don't give a fuck, and this company's stupid and that sort of stuff. But then once the bell rang, then it was like, all right, let's have like a legitimate back and forth wrestling match, and it sucked. It was stupid. Yeah, it's like uh, he he was he was totally like I'm above this. Um, um, better than everybody here. Even during the match, when he was in control of matches, it was almost as if yeah, it was like rolling played, his eyes when he had people in a sleeper hold. Like, Ugh, like, okay, like he's toying, like he's toying with yeah. these opponents. Like he's toying with these silly pro wrestlers. But the problem with his matches is he would give guys way too much offense. Right, Hama. You know, if you remember of TNA, for people that are new to Russell One or whatever, if you remember the TNA Bound for Glory with Russell One, the big fat baby Huey looking guy. Got like 75% of the offense in the match with them. And it was just like, what are you doing? Why? It was only a nine-minute match. Yeah, it was like nine minutes. And like, yeah, Suzuki had a little bit at the beginning. And then Hama just controlled like the entire thing. And then Suzuki pulled out the win at the end. I was like, no, no, that's not at all how it's supposed for to the be. gimmick. He should have just completely dominated this, this you know, this hardworking, uh, you know, the whole psychology that match should have been the fans getting because because Hama has great babyface charisma you know with his sure. you know and it, it, it would have worked better if he was working from the bottom against the dick invader I mean because this guy's gimmick is he's a dickhead so anyway he has a match against uh, Shuji Kondo last month did you see that match I did okay I love that match I thought that was, that was his good. best match yet yes. and do you know why it was his best match yet because he, he dominated the match all Shuji Kondo got in that match were um, were some hope spots, and Hideki Suzuki continually cut him off. Uh, Kondo never had an extended period where he was under where he was in control, and he shouldn't have. Kondo's a respected guy on the roster, but he's also a junior, and you have this underdog junior going against this dickhead, asshole, cocky, uh, um, you know, shooter, uh, invader. Uh, he he only should have gotten hope spots, and I'll tell you, I have to give the credit for that match. Look. I, you have to think Kondo had you know had a lot to do with the structure of that match. He's a smart worker. He's a good worker. Mm-hmm. He's a veteran worker, um, and and he understood his role uh, in that match. I mean, he could have been you know he could have uh, had had ego there. And it, look, Suzuki's been a guy. He has proven that he's willing to to not you know to, to give a guy a, a large portions of a match. If Kondo wanted to take a lot of that match, he could have, but he didn't. And to me, that was the best match during Suzuki's entire run here. Uh, because it, it it really fed off the story of his character better than any of the uh, of the other matches did. So to me, he had a lot of momentum going into that title defense against Kai, the man he defeated for the title to begin with. And um, you know, I, I I thought he was going to beat Kai. I don't know about you coming into the match how you thought that was going to go. Um, did you think I was he spoiled? Was... But no, I was I was very spoiled. So when I well, when you knew, it, well, how but... about what, when you knew the match? was happening uh, when it was uh, when I knew it was happening no I thought I thought Suzuki had a longer run with the company absolutely I, I thought and not not to Kai not at that point not with only you know three defenses under his belt no, or uh, two defenses soon didn't it I mean, uh, yeah well I, I don't know exactly I don't know some people that are that follow it a little bit more there's something more going on than just simply we're moving on to a different thing well maybe we, we, we get to that, going. but but um yeah was it only two title defenses is that true uh he uh at least, from what I could tell I mean maybe I'm wrong maybe I missed something but 
It, okay, he, he did a lot of tag matches. He did a lot of tag matches with the title, if you remember. But I don't know if one-on-one title defenses. I don't know if he had more than... Well, he won it from Kai. Yeah. He then there was Hama. definitely defended against Hama. He definitely defended against Suji Kondo. Um, did he have any other defenses in there? I, I yeah, let's see here. I'm going to... Nope. He did. Wow. Nope. April 1st, uh, he defeats uh, Kai. Uh, he defends against Hama uh, May 5th. And he defends against Suji Kondo uh, June 18th. Yeah. And then July 12th, he loses. Right. And loses and we move. In, <laughs> yeah. in, in what, I mean, I've been thinking about this all week. It's I, I no could, secret yeah. where we're going with this if you follow us on Twitter. This, without question to me, I can't think <laughs> of another one, and I'm going to throw the question out there for the listeners. It needs to be a listener. I have tried. I spent two days like racking my brain. I was on cage match looking at these. Th- I, I got nothing. I legit have absolutely nothing. This was the to bring to the table. This this was the flattest world title change I've ever seen in mm-hmm. thirty years of watching wrestling. I didn't know. I didn't know it was a title match. I'll, I'll be honest. I I knew coming in it was a title match. Then it was over. And because the crowd didn't do anything, I sort of assumed somebody mislabeled. Maybe I was watching the wrong match or whatever. Because and Joe's not exaggerating. He won. Kai wins the title. And mind you, the match was absolutely nothing. It was like 14 minutes of rest hold. And oh, a little bit of back such a terrible match. And then all of a sudden, Kai gets a win. And the, the camera kind of pans out. And you hear like three people in the crowd just go. <laughs> and that was it. And I'm like, oh, oh no what's going on? Like, here, folks. Like there was like three people that were like, not even not yay, not boo, not not. Oh, my God. No, just like. And I, like, and I think a lot of it it's had, good effort, like a good effort clap, like a golf clap. There was a golf clap and there was like two of them. Like, and a lot of it had to do with the finish. Just they, they didn't build to any sort of finish. He just hit him with like a top rope splash. Yeah. And pinned him out of nowhere. Definite transition spot. Like I was I, I, I looked away for a bit because thinking, OK, no, let me I'll look away for a few seconds and come back and, you know, something will happen. But oh, oh OK, <laughs> never mind. That's it. I mean, you've got. Hideki Suzuki, who just isn't a very good pro wrestler. You've got Kai, who, look, I mean, he's had his moments, but overall he's had a disappointing career. I think that's fair to say. You have a guy who doesn't understand how to work these matches around the gimmick that he was handed in Suzuki. He's got the mannerisms down. He's got being a dickhead down. He just doesn't know how to structure a match for his character. Um, and 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 then you just have a match that was terrible from bell to bell that didn't build to anything. And then he just wins with a splash. And then my favorite part, my, the, the, the thing that really capped it off is, is he, he wins with this splash. The crowd doesn't react at all. I think they're stunned that the match ended at that point, honestly. Mm-hmm. And then Suzuki just casually <laughs> rolls out of the ring and heads to the sits up. Horse. Yes. Yeah, he sits up. He rolls, sits up, walks out. Yeah, okay. He doesn't sell the damage. He doesn't sell the pinfall. He doesn't look angry that he lost. He just rolls out of the ring and leaves. I mean, it's, it's like, what is happening here? And then the crowd completely shits on Kai. I mean, they just shit on the guy. He's trying to give like this rah-rah promo, I assume. I don't understand Japanese. But they're booing him out of the building. He just he defeated this invader who's been cutting through your entire roster and and you know besmirching your title and he's getting booed out of the building. And who comes down to challenge this man? Who's the first man out of the locker room? 
It's Suji Kondo, who the month before basically got squashed by the guy who just lost. <laughs> Why would he come out? Hey, can I get a shot now? <laughs> he, he basically was squashed by the dude who Kai just beat. Why would he ever be in line for another title shot? <laughs> and then the second guy who comes out of the locker room is fucking Jiro. Jiro, of all people. The du- and if you don't know who Jiro is, okay, if you watch TNA Bound for Glory, he's the dude that wrestles in the jacket that Taz would not <laughs> shut the fuck up about. The entire show. Lower. Andy Wu and the jacket guy. That's That was Taz's favorite moment of that entire in one of the best TNA broadcasts of all time, by the way. If you've never seen that, go watch it. And then the whole roster comes out, and I don't know what happens at that point. Then they just do this giant pull-apart brawl. The bottom line here is Wrestle 1 is the TNA of Japan. Um, it's just, Rich, have you ever seen – were you <laughs> able to think of a flatter – because usually when a world title changes hands – you're at least going to get a pop because people are happy that they're in the building to see a world title change. Right. Even the most dull, even because I was thinking I, what I immediately when I went and said, Hey, I got to try to figure this out. You know, what's the dullest, whatever. I looked at all Randy Orton's uh, title wins to see there's got to be one that was, and then I went through them and, and at least at some point, at least with WWE, pretty much always with WWE, like you said, people that are in the building just cheer regardless because they're seeing a title switch. There's stunned silence sometimes, or but there's at least something of booze, cheers. Oh my God, you know we're here. We saw this. I, I've never seen one where like three play claps was all you got. Like that. That is, I, I've maybe somebody knows and somebody can bring it up and someone's got something in their head. And please do if you do at Voices Wrestling on Twitter. If you know, I, I couldn't figure out. I went through all WWE title history. I went through all of at least a little bit of TNA history. I, I could not find it. I just could not find one that was anywhere near this bad. Those impact zone crowds are okay. You know, they, 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 they're they they'll pop for something. If it's a big deal and if it's presented as a big deal, they'll pop. Look, they're, they're the only 900 people who give a shit. So they always pop for shit in that building. But it's like, okay, um, the, the thing about this was, and, and look, I know that our audience skews nerd. Okay, we got some hardcore wrestling nerd audience that listen to this show. So, <laughs> but even with that said, what percentage? And that's a good thing, by the way. We're not making fun of you because we're nerds. That's actually that's a backhanded compliment. What I'm saying yeah, is, right. the people because we spend three hours talking about Wrestle One, so no, don't worry, <laughs> you're okay. Right. So, what, but what I'm getting at here is, what percentage of our because our audience is a super hardcore audience, I would say. Um, what percentage of our audience do you think actively follows and watches Wrestle One? I would say it's small, even though it's a hardcore audience. Correct? Hey, twenty percent, maybe fifteen, maybe. Yeah. So, and that's probably that might even be high, to be honest. That, that's that's encapsulating the people that we talk to regularly on Twitter, but we know there's thousands of others that don't even. That's the thing. Interact. The people right. we interact with on Twitter are like the like less than far less than ten percent of the people. Yeah, that's maybe that's yeah based exactly. on the numbers. So those are just the the super hardcore uh, wrestling fans who bother interacting with other people on Twitter. So I, you know, so I'm speaking. For forms or any indication, not many, because I think it got to like two pages, and, and that's all we've like every other like even all Japan's at like five pages or whatever. Russell one that I believe two, and it just got to two. So right. yeah. So what I'm getting at here is as I'm speaking to a large majority of the audience when I say if you do not watch Russell one, which most of you do not, I implore you. To watch this match. Yes, it's a terrible match, but it is fascinating how terrible it is and mm-hmm. how and how the lack of reaction to this title change is it's stunning. It really is that's the word I was just gonna use. It's stunning. The 
lack of reaction that this title change got. And then watch the post-match stuff. Keep in mind that Kondo got squashed the month before, but he's the first <laughs> to be guy fair, in the room. To be fair, Joe, we are currently engaging in, I don't know if you follow, again, I don't know if you're following Wrestle One Hardcore, uh, we're doing the uh, Grand Prix quarterfinals. You know, if one man loves tournaments more than anybody, it's Keiji Muto. So we're in another tournament, this time to decide the challengers. So. And Kai was in that tournament. Yes, he was. And Kai lost in the first round of that tournament. <laughs> Why is the champion? <laughs> and I get the G1 kind of is that way, but the, the G1 isn't as implied that, like... This is a... S- I mean, it is, but I But I here's the know. thing. This is a single elimination tournament, right? <laughs> right. And it's the first time you're ever doing one. You have a champion who got booed out of the building when he won his title. And you need to get this guy over. He's not over at all. Everybody hates him. They don't want him to be champion. And you put him in this tournament. You put him in the first round of this tournament against Jiro. There's this guy again. A lower mid-carder. And he loses. What are you doing? Is this not the TNA of Japan? I mean, shouldn't this guy win the fucking tournament? And an attempt to get him over? He lost in the first round. Or at least get to the finals and lose to set up a challenger? <laughs> and he loses to a mid-carder. Or just not be in the fucking tournament, which is I mean, what I would do. <laughs> It's like everything they do. And now Muda, too. You know, based on the reactions this guy got, he decides to have a fan poll to decide whether the fans want him as champion or not. (laughs) Which is probably going to go very well. Which is not yet. Now, look, I don't want to go full. It's still real to me on you guys. But there are certain kayfabe lines that you probably shouldn't be crossing, and that is probably one of them. Asking, hey, does our champion suck? <laughs> do you not want our champion to be champion <laughs> yeah, anymore? Do you want me to take the title off of our champion because you don't? I mean, there's, you know, that's going a little too far. You do have to remember uh, who who won the, the 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 tournament to have the right to face Mudo. Do you remember who that was? Hero. Oh, it was Jiro, and then he lost. That's the and best then he lost. Yeah. So anyway, what Rich is talking <laughs> about. That's my favorite thing of the year. That beats this tournament. That beats Kai losing in the first. That is my favorite thing of the year, is that tournament. <laughs> this is a promotion that is constantly having tournaments. Tournaments left and right. They have a- it's always just, I, the, the only thing I ever see of Wrestle One is, is Mudo standing next to a poster board with like brackets on it. And he's like pointing, and he's always got the biggest smile on his face, like, hell yeah, tournament time. Yeah. Like, let's go. <laughs> so they have a tournament which was basically called the Great Muda Tournament, if I'm not mistaken. It was... Uh, it was yeah, I think it translated to something like the Great Muto like Grand Prix or, 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 yeah, or something, something like that. Yeah. And the winner, the winner of this tournament earned the right to face Keiji Muto, which I don't understand why that's some kind of prize. But okay, put that aside for a second. Jiro wins the tournament. Okay. I, I didn't even know it was Jiro. That's so, that's great. So J- I forgot. So Jiro wins the tournament and then he loses to Muto. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was the point? Can someone explain to me what the point was? If the guy who wins the tournament and they let like a young guy win the tournament, okay, all right, fine. Maybe they're going to give Jiro a push, okay? He wins the tournament and he loses. Ah, fuck you, you nerd. <laughs> Get back down there. What is happening here? Beating Muto would have been a nice little nice rub for the guy, right? I mean, and it, it, it seems like they might want to push this guy. I mean, he wins the Muto tournament. Uh, he comes out as a challenger uh, after after Kai wins the title. He beats Kai in the first round of this tournament. Now, you would think that he's going to go on and win this tournament, correct? Uh, presumably. I mean, but, but 
how can we make any sense of this? I was good. Yeah, I don't. He's he's still in. I don't know if you've seen the quarterfinals. He's still there, so he's still alive. He's got Tajiri coming up on the eighth, so he's he's still alive. Yeah. So Ando's in there too. He's got Minoru Tanaka coming up soon. So yeah. So so Jiro in the Muda tournament. He defeats Hiroki Murase, he defeats Koji Doi, and he defeats uh, Saiki Yoshioka. Then he loses to Muto in Cork and Hall. Makes no sense. Now, we were wrong about something. I'm looking it up now. He did lose. He did defeat Kai, but in the second round. Ah, okay. So, so Kai, got, Kai got through, or did he get a bye? Uh, no, no, no. I don't think there were any I get a bye? Okay. So I'm pretty sure, you know, Kai, their, their champion at least got to the second. He at least got a victory. Yeah, he at least beat somebody on the roster. That's pretty good. Okay. That's important. Kai defeated, oh, he may, he did get a bye. He doesn't have a first round match. <laughs> so Kai did lose his first match after all. Okay. How embarrassing is this? I mean, the, the way this uh, company is booked. So this Jiro guy, he's got to win this tournament. I'm wondering who his next opponent is. Can we figure that out somehow? Uh, Tajiri's coming up. So his next opponent is Tajiri, and this is—he's got Tajiri on the eighth. Is this the semifinal or the final? This is the uh, this is the quarterfinals. The semis would be something that's like how many 25th. guys are in this friggin' tournament? Uh, I think it was nineteen guys, Joe. <laughs> They're doing a nineteen-man single elimination. Yeah, here let me let me fire it up here. This is Pro Six Spirits. Uh, they have a little description here. There's oh, there's Mudo. Yep, there he is, standing next to the poster board. <laughs> Very happy. Uh, the Wrestle One Grand Prix 2015 will be a single elimination tournament that will take place over the course of four shows throughout the month of August. Uh, the entire Wrestle One roster will be involved in the tournament, which only is <laughs> it's only about 19 guys. Oh, so the whole roster was involved. Yes, the entire Wrestle One roster will be involved in the tournament from the established to the up-and-comers. This includes newly uh, newly crowned champion uh, Kai, who in all honesty garnered a poor reaction for ultimately reclaiming his revenge on Hagi Suzuki. Due to this, Kai has personally stated that he will win this tournament to prove that he is a true champion. And then he loses in the first, his well, first match! He's not a Hold on so a second. <laughs> on top of everything else... He says, I'm going to win, and then he loses. He says, I'm going to win, and I'll show you. You'll see. And then he That's Babyface 101 right there. <laughs> I am gonna win on Sunday. Come watch me win. Oh, I lost. Sorry. And he lost to Jiro. Sorry, I suck. He lost don't, don't to Jiro of all people. Are you kidding me? I can't make sense of this promotion. You can't. You would think that Jiro is now gonna win this entire deal. Okay, he wins the Mudo tournament. He comes out as a challenger. He beats Kai. He knocks Kai out of this tournament. But I, do you have any confidence that they're going to do, do the right thing? And have no, it'll spend? be like Kasayashi or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea. Who's still alive? Let's see. We got uh, we got Kasayashi. Okay. Sakamoto, uh, Kondo, as I mentioned, Minoru Tanaka, uh, Jiro and Tajiri, uh, Manabu Soya, and then uh, Shino, my young boy. There you go. Let's just have oh, him Soya, win. Soya still alive? Soya's still alive, yeah. And, Jir- and Jiro's got Tajiri next? Yes. And... Tajiri is not a full timer. He should no. beat Tajiri. That means he'll probably lose to Tajiri. <laughs> He's gonna lose Tajiri's this Yes, I mean logically he should beat the guy who's not even a full timer and then go on and win the tournament. But who the hell knows? They're not gonna. They do nothing logically. Well, they just had a full timer, you know, or non full timer hold their title for you know months and. He, he's uh, Suzuki. He's only been in zero one since he lost the title. So who knows what the hell? So he's that, back in zero one. Yes. Yeah, he's been. He worked, I think, seven shows since that last, you know, Wrestle One show. So. I had heard he was going to be Wrestle One full time, but I guess he's back in zero one. So yeah. Oh, there you go. Wrestle One. Terrible promotion. <laughs> Just awful. The TNA of Japan. Ultima Lucha, Rich. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. I think you and I have very different thoughts about this. Uh, of course, uh, for people that didn't see last night, uh, by the time we're recording this last night, we're recording this on a Thursday, was uh, the season finale of season one of Lucha Underground. Um, do you want to talk maybe uh, macro stuff, Lucha Underground first? Um, 
no announcement of season two yet. We've been saying this for months, and of course, we don't want it to happen. But we've been saying, and people have been getting mad at us, and oh, no, no, it's coming. Oh, I, we've been saying for months and months and months that if this thing was going to happen, if there was a season two that was going to happen, well, you probably would have already known by now. I mean, they were going to start recording in September, remember? Yeah, and that's... Where it's uh, August 6th right now. Yeah. And, and they've, they've wrapped up their season one, and the guys are now working all over the world. And the, I and guess. the set is torn down. Yes. And multiple wrestlers are just talking all kinds of shit about the promotion. Um <laughs> I, look, man, would, it, it's, we, we don't want to do the I told you so thing. They can come out tomorrow and hold a press conference and tell us that season two is coming back. Sure. And, and, and Cubs fan on, on our forum said that Sunday would be a day that he's kind of looking at to say maybe, you know, at, at Triple Mania, which is so we'll talk about here in a little bit. Maybe they'll say something or, or do something or Friday. Uh, there's a, an ask me anything on Reddit with one of the guys at Lucha. Maybe then. Who knows? But as it stands now. The guys that actually are in the – like the workers are being told, you know, do whatever. We, inter- we interviewed Mac Ross on this site, and yeah. I don't know how many of you guys listen to it, um, but I asked him directly, have, what have you been told by people from the promotion, from people from El Rey? What have you been told from anybody in power uh, concerning season two? And, you know, I'm power – phrasing his answer but essentially the answer was he's been told nothing right. not a single thing from anybody from lucha underground from anybody from AAA, and from anybody from el rey he knows nothing i then asked a follow-up question i asked him if he asked to keep any dates clear in the fall for potential tapings again i'm paraphrasing he was not told to keep any dates clear um because i i said to him this is a roster full of wrestlers who need to work to put food on the table and to make a living. And uh, most people by the beginning of August would be booked out clear through the fall if not into the right. winter. And he agreed with me and he said there were no <laughs> dates that he was asked to be kept clear and he has been told nothing by any of the powers that be concerning a season two. Now, that is not how wrestling promotions operate and for you people no. that want to play the television show card that is not how television shows operate either because actors have to go get work and put food on their table too and they're not uh, dragged around by a string and and left dangling the breeze either so um you know look it's not I, how i don't know how anyone would be optimistic at this point that there's going to be a see there may very like i said like you said earlier they may announce something friday they amount. They may announce something on Sunday. They may announce something after that. But you know, we're running out of time. You know, El Rey needs to put out a ball schedule. Um, they need to, to you know, not all of these wrestlers are under contract. A lot of them, they can't just call up and say. A lot of them, the ones that are under contract, they can say, "Look, I don't care what you guys. You're under contract. You got to show up to these tapings." Right. And those guys have to show up. But as we've learned, not all of these guys are working on contracts. It's a lot of these contracts are up after one season. Not everybody was under two-season deal and a lot of these people have gone out and gotten and, and, and found other bookings who's to say that these guys are going to drop those bookings to come to a lucha underground taping i you know some of them might some of them might not. look this is a mess uh, you know a lot of people are putting stock into how ultima lucha ended with you know the great video package and oh clearly yeah look you saw that clearly they're hinting at a season two yeah well so what that was filmed how long ago yeah you know, right months ago that doesn't mean a thing means the way they ended season one means absolutely nothing in terms of whether there's going to be a season two it means absolutely nothing zero doesn't mean a thing so i want to hear that but uh look 
I'm not optimistic at all that there's going to be a season two. I think we would have heard something by now. Mm-hmm. I, I don't buy this idea that everyone involved is keeping things under their hat. I, I just I don't buy it. Um, that's just not how things work in television or wrestling. But um, you know, I guess there's no point pounding that to death. Do you want to um, review the show? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now people know that, so yeah, there's not a point. But uh, yeah, just to, just to keep it in mind that that was the end, and and we we know nothing still. So despite the fact that it said to be continued at the end, we 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 don't know. And the guys, t- you know, as I said on this very site, we heard a guy that said, "No, I'm I'm I'm, gonna, I'm open. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't nothing, know. Shit. I have nothing being told. Uh, you know, obviously Ricochet, you can see he has opened up his options again, and is you know back in New Japan doing uh you know the G1 Climax Finals, back in Dragon Gate. Uh, Brian Cage, I saw doing indies uh, last. I went to the Dreamwave show uh, in LaSalle, Illinois. Last week, he's out doing stuff and apparently made himself open for the indies again. So it's I, there's a lot of guys that are just I mean, seriously, are, if you think Ricochet getting his visa and going back to Japan to work for New he Japan doesn't want to do that. Dragon Gate. That's why he signed with Lucha Underground because he said, thank God, I don't have to go to Japan anymore. You think I can be by yeah. my kid. I can be by my family. I could be in America. Then all of a sudden, suddenly, what shit? I'm back in Japan. Like That's not an accident. He's no. not confident that he's going to have a job with these people. Um, you know, or he would have never went back. He stopped going to Japan cold when this promotion was up and running. I mean, come on. <laughs> Let's not be silly here. It doesn't look good. And again, we're not hoping it, that it dies. Oh, no, God, no. God, no. We like it. All right, let's review the damn show. All right, it's Ultima Lucha. Uh, part one, I don't know if we did. That was, you know, last week. I don't think we necessarily have to go over that one again. I, I mostly wanted to talk about part two, the one that aired uh, last night. I, I hope that you as well. Uh, do you have any strong thoughts on part one? But I, I thought part two was the... Part one, quickly, I loved the Willie Mack, um, Brian Cage match. Yes. Um, and nothing else on the show did a thing for me. That's how I was as well. So, yeah, I, I don't think there's a point, really. I, I thought Ultima Lucha one was very underwhelming. I thought the trios match was shit. Um, and way too storyline heavy. And I, I thought that the, uh, look, the, the believers, you know, whipping match or whatever with our boy, Deshaun, Sean from the hot tub again, there he is. coming up twice on one show here. Uh, how hilarious was that guy with the strap? Oh, man. he was the best. He was the best guy. With the strap. I know. Why they, Cause at first I was like, Oh, they, why is that fucker? Like front and center and they're featuring him. And then I watch him whip a guy and scream and be so happy. And I was like, okay, never mind. Yeah. Like, so he was having the time of his life. Good for him. Um, but the, the one thing I do want to say is uh, the Wednesday night, the, you know, the Wednesday night wars, Rick Rude Hernandez, he had a good run with this company. He did. And people didn't want to see him here. Everybody groaned when he showed up. But I think this was the best run of his career. I really think it was when you consider the match he had with Puma and some of the other match. He had excellent matches in this company. I thought he did a good job and his character work was strong, too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I was a big fan of like the prime LAX era Hernandez so that's a little I don't know if I want to say his best run but as far as like a pure in ring absolutely yeah and character wise too I was right up there I would say that the prime LEX was pretty solid too but it wasn't because of him necessarily it was a lot of guys and a lot of it was I thought there was an opportunity at at some point for TNA to really get behind him and the oh absolutely oh god yes and and like they did with 90% of the people on their (laughs) roster they totally missed that opportunity and then it was just a lost his prime yeah out of his prime and then it was kind of right but um yeah but that's really the thoughts from the first night. I, I really enjoyed the cage Mac wild um, ECW arena esque brawl. Beer swollen product Miller light product placement. Yeah. Match. Which is actually going to be a theme talking about the second night. But um, because then I think they completely overdid that. And my, my, my you know, um, overall opinion of the show was I sat there and I watched five matches that were exactly the same. 
which is why the show didn't connect with me at such at the high level that it did. You know, there's people who think this is the show of the year, and I, I enjoyed it. I, I wouldn't. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Show of the year is a little strong. Well, yeah, hey, I well, thought it was you a saw good the feedback spectacle. we got. There's exactly yeah. It was it was it was diversive. It, there were some people that said yeah, ten out of ten. I would if I gave it a hundred out of ten, I would do it. You know, and there were people. I think the the, the overwhelming majority, at least from my standpoint, was it. We had probably about even a five and eight were about it. Like there was a lot of people that gave a five. I think you gave a five as well, and a lot of people that gave eights, and that's probably what I would get. And we we do this one out of ten game sometimes, where I just want to kind of sure. get people's ideas. And yeah, we had probably like. 20, 25 people say eight, and then about another 20 people say five. And I think that's those are been about the big. And then, like you said, the big ones that were like 100 out of a 10, you know, the greatest thing I've ever seen. No, I wouldn't go there, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a decent spectacle. I thought the biggest thing that I enjoyed about it was as a one off show, it was for me, and that's kind of how I watched it is saying, okay, look, this is it for Lucha Underground. This is it. This is all they have. They're going to go out on a, uh, on a uh, with a bang. Like this is this is the last thing we're going to do. Everyone's going to go out. They're all going to end their feuds. I do agree with you to a point that the, the the brawling in the crowd and kind of the the attitude era brawls a little overdone. But I thought overall because the crowd was so hot and because the, just the atmosphere was so cool and the guys seemed pretty enthused by it. The guys that were in the ring and and, and it seemed like the you know the announcers obviously Matt Stryker and, and Michael Chavello were were super enthused about everything and just it seemed like a very fun show more than everything and I just enjoyed watching and that's that's kind of where I got is I sort of shut off you know unfairly or fairly sort of shut off like the critical part of me and more was like okay this is the last thing I'm going to have with Lucha Underground you know these are all the characters kind of blowing off all their feuds for the most part I mean nobody really had anything there. And that's sort of – that's the one thing I didn't like about the show. I'll get to that in a second. Is, you know, in the moment of the guys, okay, here, this is the feud enders. All these matches are going to end these these season-long or, you know, month-long feuds or whatever. And I thought from that standpoint it was pretty good. Everybody wrestled like this was a big deal to them, that this was something that they wanted to blow off or whatever. Everything going out of the show, though, all the little dumb storylines that came out of it were all awful, I thought. Like everything that was done after the match was was silly and stupid and dumb and 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 really when it was over I said I don't really care about a season two I kind of enjoyed season one and I liked how it wrapped up and I'm kind of done. Uh, look, I you, you know where I stand on that. I stopped paying attention to the storylines months ago. Mm-hmm. They, that that lost me a long time ago. I don't give a shit about your black lotuses and your Marty the moths and your monsters in cages and your Asian woman who kills people. And I, I just, I've had enough. I, I threw my hands at that months ago. I'm completely with you. I completely agree that they didn't do anything on this show to make me crave a season two. Right. When it was over, it's a to be continued. And I said, eh, eh, it's, it's all right. Whether it, it's okay. <laughs> it, 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 what I, I want to see a season two because I want to see more cool matches and I want to see guys doing dives that they have no business. Right. Doing. I want to see Aerostar and Helico, you know, diving from right. the top of the roof. I want to see guys destroy their hips permanently with these wacky dives. That's what I want to see. And I want to see great magic. I don't give a shit about any of these wacky storylines. Yeah. I that stuff does nothing for me. In fact, it's a huge negative for me. Um, it's one of the things that sort of had me I was all in on Lucha Underground for a you while. Are. You know that. I was all in on this show. The storylines got way too crazy for me. Uh, and it's 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 silliness. I have no I have no time for it. On this show, I mean, the Asian she killed a guy in a mask, right? When she hit him in the spine. He, oh yeah. I mean, they've killed characters. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, come on, I, I come on. It's silly. It's goofy and it's silly. I'm not into that shit. And then at the end, you got uh, um, you know, Drago flying out of the temple, and you've got Arrow Star apparently going into the the, the fucking heavens. 
I mean, it's just silly. I, I don't know if people are into that great. I, it's, but unfortunately, on Helico, you have to use a motorcycle to leave. Well, Everybody else could fly, well, Helico, but he has to use a well, motorcycle. He had, yeah. he had a dirt bike because that's right. his gimmick. You know, and then, uh, no, I know. Well, everybody else got to fly, and he had to you know, just drive a dirt bike. Well, but, you know, Havoc and, and uh, <laughs> son, well, son of Havoc. We don't know who Havoc is. Right. Havoc, uh, you know, I, I wish they would introduce, uh, you know, f- you know, father of son of Havoc. Is that redundant? Wouldn't it just be Havoc? Um, no, not necessarily. And then yeah, we had a uh, sexy star being tied up by uh, Marty Demoth. Yes, yeah, so, so Marty yeah. Demoth was revealed as having a tie-in with the Lotus, apparently. Yeah. So, which we all should have figured. I mean, moths, lotuses, but who cares? I mean, it's all so silly. I mean, are we really supposed to believe that you know she's being held captive? For- Why are we talking about this shit? I don't know why. It's, it's, it's garbage. The storyline part of Lucha Underground. I'm sorry. I know this is pissing people off. I happen to think it's garbage. I'm not into. I enjoyed it. It's well produced. It's 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 incredibly <laughs> well produced. I've never said it wasn't incredibly well produced. It has no appeal to me though. I I, I, I was happy to see. And that's why I think I enjoyed the show a little bit more than you is. I was happy to see the blowoffs of all these feuds because a lot of them started out not being as like over the top and insane as they were. And there were some that weren't like, you know, even Pentagon and, and Vampira, which we'll talk a lot in a little bit, was a crazy like blood feud and ended in, a, in just a silly way. But it, it necessarily it wasn't like this weird over the top ish sort of thing that, that a lot of the other ones became. And then it seemed like when this was done, that a lot of the feuds that were going on and, and, and were blown off in the show were, were, were rooted in some sort of reality. That, that's, there was something to them and something you can kind of sink your teeth into if you're just kind of a normal wrestling fan that enjoys a little bit of extra story in your wrestling, which, which I don't mind. I, I enjoy that a lot. But then when you think about everything that they're building, you know, quote building, and I'm using the air quotes there, for season two, all that shit is just out of this world insane. Like, like so beyond what I am into. Whereas I thought a lot of the stuff in season one, though, I agree with you that it started to get a little bit crazy. I think it stayed relatively level for a little bit, but then you see what they're, you know, quote again, planning for season two. And that shit's just completely off the rails. Like, I don't know what the hell all that. Yeah. It's, it's the overriding theme of the promotion is the, is the black Lotus stuff and the monster in the cage. And it's like, that's never going to connect with me. That's always going to drive me away for me personally. Lucha underground is far more enjoyable when I fast forward everything that happens in between the matches and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I completely understand that for a lot of people, that is the appeal, the stuff that's happening in between the matches. A lot of people are really into that stuff. Not me. I, to me, it's a huge negative. Well, one thing that I really enjoy, and, and I think your, your theory of, of, of watching it that way is impressive as well, or, or would actually be pretty cool as well, because the entrances and the way that, that strikers especially We'll build these guys up, and I know a lot of people criticize Striker for a lot of things. And, and trust me, I'm, I'm you know not one to 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 be the huge you know fan of, of everything he does. But I think I like that when, once once they get back to the ring, they get back to the temple or whatever. These guys come out, and, and Striker will sort sort of you know hyperbolically mention what these guys do and all that sort of stuff. And I think you know what you could just do this, and you could say. Yeah, you know, Mil Morites is this dead guy, and Katarina has these these disciples and a rock or whatever, and that's fine if a guy sort of says that, and these guys act like it once they get out to the ring, but it's when they do the backstage stuff that, like, I'm with you. I kind of get ridiculous, because then you get special effects and that sort of stuff. I think you could pull off the exact same stuff that they're basically doing just by describing what these guys do as they come to the ring. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm necessarily saying it exactly. Well, I think they need to pick a side. I mean, if you're going to tell me that Johnny Mundo is a guy with this long history who wrestled in WWE or, or, or Tejano is this guy from AAA in Mexico who mm-hmm. was their heavyweight champ, if you're going to recognize all that stuff, it, 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 like, make this a separate world that is wacky supernatural nonsense or don't. But they're trying to play both sides, and that's where yeah. it loses connection with me um, because – 
AAA in Mexico and recognizing titles that these guys have won in the past. That stuff doesn't mesh with the special effects and monsters eating faces and wrestlers dying. It's like you're, you're cross-connecting two worlds. And for me, I just throw my hands at that stuff. Just give me the matches. Ring the bell and give me the matches. I, I, I don't have the time, the energy, or the patience to deal with these, these wacky storylines. It's just it's, it's not for me. If it's for you, great. It, it, it's not for me, though. I just I don't like it. All right, let's go over the matches here real quick because I, I really enjoyed the matches of the show. I, I thought while there was a lot of like attitude era brawling, I, I really didn't mind it as a one off. Like if this was every single week, I would never watch the show, you know, weeks, you know, consecutive. But that it was built up, you know, through this being the finale or whatever. I, I enjoyed for the most part. But uh, let's start off. Uh, opener was uh, Johnny Mundo versus Alberto El Patron. Uh, decent amount of crowd brawling, but then they kind of got in the ring. And I, I thought the crowd was insane for this match. They were super hot for it. Um, it wasn't like a spectacular match. I thought it was just kind of OK. Uh, Patron looked okay. Mundo looked all right. Uh, the prevailing thing at the end was Molina came back, and uh, Mundo and Molina had like a makeout session, and then you know Patron threw uh, Mundo through a, a glass window as kind of a callback to what happened earlier in the season, and then of course grabbed Molina and spanked her for some odd reason, and that was kind of it. But uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed the it as a blow off, but yeah, I, I, I'm not interested in seeing whatever season two quote would have. It was a for these it was two. a good short intense match. I enjoyed it. Um... But the, the, again, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna sound like a broken record, and ended up being exactly like every other match <laughs> that took place on the show, mm-hmm. which was my big problem with the show. Uh, they brawled all over the building. I thought both guys worked hard. It, uh, you know, the, the nature of their feud called for a wild brawl like this. I'm not saying they didn't work it properly. It's just that every it, the whole show felt samey. Everything mm-hmm. on the show was the same. So yeah, the match was fine. I had no problem with the match. I had no problem with the angle. Um, I don't care if I ever watch these guys wrestle each other again. Uh, so I'm kind of with you from well, that. I, I think you're going to be okay on the uh, El Patron level. So I don't. I don't think. I mean, he just buried this company. I don't think. Yeah, you're going to see him in Lucha Underground anymore. He was upset that, that he done. was in the opener. Um, he complained that you know the, the matches edited are edited. Matches, yeah. You know, you know, it's it's you know. So just to, you know, he's not talking <laughs> like a guy who I, I don't know. Let's just. Move He's, he's not ready. Yeah. Uh, Pentagon Jr. versus Vampiro. This was insane. This was a and, you know, I'm not usually a fan of, of, of death matches and light tubes and hardcore and a lot of blood and all that sort of stuff. But the, in, in this context, I enjoyed it. I really, really, really enjoyed this match because it, it kind of called for it, as you said. And that might have been an issue with this show in general is that every sort of match called for like a, a wild brawl and like an end of a blood feud and that sort of stuff. This one, I think absolutely out of all the uh, all of them really called for these two just to completely kill themselves uh, it was revealed at the end you know that pentagon jr's master was vampiro which everybody kind of knew and if you listen to wrestling observer radio unfortunately you knew about two months ago because dave just blurted it out randomly as he was reading off uh, spoilers but which whatever I, i'm not gonna hate on that but what yeah whatever but anyway the, the I, I thought this match was really cool i enjoyed it and you know i'm again i'm not in favor a lot of times of just you know hardcore chair shots and light tubes and tacks and blood and all that sort of stuff but in this case i thought it worked especially with that pentagon junior character and especially with vampiro so i was okay with it from this standpoint i don't know what you thought of this guy i liked it um it did sort of i thought it went a little long and it started it started to lose my interest a little it could bit. have been about 5 minutes shorter I, yeah it got a little too like let's let's build every spot a little bit too much and, that, and that's that's not a bad thing necessarily but it got a little too you know it it, it it was testing my short attention span at points. Um, but overall, I liked it. They did do uh, – going into one of the commercials, they did the spot that I hate, which is to bring out the stretcher as like kind of the yeah, false I knew finish. Gonna, I, that's why I thought you hated it. You know I hate show. that spot. I cannot – it was like, oh, Vampiro's done. End this match. This is over. Oh, wait, Vampiro's back. <laughs> like, I hate the miracle 
hopping off the stretcher spot. I can't stand it. Um, but look, I get it. They used that to go into the commercial break, and then they came out of the commercial break. But considering this was a Vampiro match, and the fact that this guy can barely move, and I mean, we say that about a lot of guys. We say it about guys like Tenzon, but we're kind of exaggerating a little. Vampiro can barely move. I mean, this man... Yeah, Vampiro's like your dad getting in the ring. He, like, he's in bad shape. And yeah, he... he. The, the fact that Pentagon Jr. got such an... I mean, this is going to get match of the year votes. Not for the best... I don't think anyone's going to vote at number one. When we do our poll at the end of the year, this match is going to be in people's polls. I can guarantee you this is going to get votes. I think so, too. Yeah. And the fact that Pentagon Jr. got that caliber of match out of a guy who hasn't wrestled in forever, and when he has wrestled, you know, has been terrible. I mean, you know... I watched one of his, you know, more recent matches, um, you know, from from Mexico proper, where, you know, he literally all he could do was stand in the corner, like you know, like Hulk Hogan did in that what was that Hulk Hogan versus Sting match in Philadelphia? Yeah, we just lifted his leg occasionally. Yeah, that's essentially all Vampiro could do, and Jack Evans and Angelico just took bumps around him to sort of make it watchable, um, and that's kind of like what this was here. He could barely move, and but let me tell you, Pentagon Junior did a great job. And Vampiro did a great job taking some crazy bumps. Give him a lot of credit for Yeah, giant. that last one where he's on fire and like legitimately on fire. Like like, you know, we get like fire stuff and like the guy's kind of their arm is touched or whatever. Or you know, they land in the fire and then the fire goes out. Like this guy was legitimately on fire for like um like thirty seconds, like rolling out of the ring while his ass is still like burning. They, that, they, had, that they had to put him out. Is insane. Yeah, I would not do that. That's and and you know uh, yeah. you know the, the blood and the bumps. Look, they worked hard, and I thought it, yeah. I thought it was uh, really good, especially considering the the physical state that he's in. It and, was. I think you're right about the match of the year thing, and I think one of the theories that we've always had with this match of the year, and that's it's something that's that's been fun because our voters kind of go that way as well, is that. Even if a match isn't necessarily like without a doubt like the best of the year, if it's the best in its style and if it does a certain style better than any other match that does a certain style, it does pretty well. And this is one that I think is going to do it, it as a pure like star rating, you know, nerdy sort of stuff. It's not going to do well in that standpoint. But if you're like, hey, what was the best, like absolute far and away best hardcore match this entire year? It's absolutely this one. I mean, I watched a, a bunch of big Japan. This blows all those away in terms of atmosphere, in terms of what they did, in terms of how they built up to the death spots. And, and all that sort of stuff is you, you won't find a better sort of hardcore street fighty weapons match anywhere in the world this year. I, I, I do believe that. Pentagon Jr. is a sick motherfucker. I mean, you know. Yes, he is. Yeah, even, <laughs> it works with those two guys, too. And that, that's, you know, the matches that people send me, um, you know, like him beating the shit out of Arez in Mexico, like I, He's a sick fucking dude. And, but the thing about, you know, I, this far exceeded any expectations I had for a Vampiro match. So I got to give both guys a ton of credit. Even if, and I thought Vampiro coming out with like, you know, his, you know, with like the whole, uh, I guess the. Uh, Pope, yeah, like a Pope. Yeah, dressed like, like, a, a, like a clergyman or whatever. I thought it, yeah. the, his entrance was cool. Even if, you know, he kind of looked like, you know, he, he looked like Darth Vader, like dying at the end he of the Empire yes, Strikes no, exactly. Back. There's, there's a, uh, did you look at the review that we put up on the website? There's a picture. I'm going to send you this picture right now as we talk. I mean, I, exactly. I, like a dead ringer for Darth Vader when he's dying. It, at the end of Return of the Jedi. Or Empire. Yeah, Empire, like where he, the, the, the Luke, I am your father scene, where he takes the helmet off. That's what he looked like. I mean, uh, you know, you send this to me, where is it? I'm sending it in a sec. So. Okay. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's crazy. But, uh, yeah, so, look, it far exceeded expectations. Um, I, I, you know, I have wacky opinions when it comes to Lucha Underground. I like this match better 
than that casket match that everybody raves about. Or what do they call it? They called it. They call it something else. What do they call the uh, casket match? The, uh, um, where days and uh, Phoenix. Yeah, I, I forgot what uh, whatever they call there. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. The um, the uh, what the hell do they call their their casket match? But that match, I, see, I thought that match was way too long and it was boring. I didn't really love that match. I thought this, in terms of a heated brawl, uh, blew that match away. I liked it a lot better. Um, so grave consequences. Grave consequences. Yeah, and I mean that that is going to do very well in the match of the year poll. I mean, the grave consequence. It's going to do better than this match, but I preferred this match. And I liked the post-match stuff. It seems like you didn't. You kind of alluded to it. Um, and I, I, I've read a lot of people who said that they did not like the post-match stuff um, with, uh, with, with Pentagon Jr., with Vampiro asking him to break his arm and then being revealed as the master. All along. Oh, I, I didn't mind that. Um, I just thought I, it was spoiled for me, and I didn't really care. It was spoiled for me it, too, but I thought it was well yeah. done. And I no, I no, I agree. I didn't say it wasn't. I, I just to me, I don't really care. I've I've read people. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, the opinion that I've read are from people saying um, it's silly for Vampiro to want his arm to be broken. And hey, come on, I mean, he's it's, a sick motherfucker. No, yeah, no these no. guys just maimed each They're other, idiots. Yeah. And the whole idea is he's building this guy up as a killer, so right. he wants to see. The, the, the psychology behind you have it to is, kill me. You have to kill me to prove. Are you yourself willing to even me. break my arm? And I'm your master. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. Are you going to completely satisfy your master by destroying me too? I had no problem with it. Um, That's different though, because a lot of times you'll get that pro wrestling turn where they'll have the entire match and then turn on the guy, or you know, they'll they'll be aligned yes. with that guy. But it's it's different when it's this. It, this is two sick motherfuckers, including a, a, the, the sickest motherfucker, trying to get the other guy to just be a complete monster killer. This was you know, mental yeah. manipulation by the exactly, yeah. character. This is, this is different than, like... Because, yeah, I, I agree. It happens a lot in wrestling, and a lot of times it's stupid. This wasn't one of those. No. So I fired... I, I sent you the pictures there, if you, if yeah, you want to Yeah, looks just like... Anakin there's the Return Star. of the Jedi. There's the Return of the Jedi, Darth Vader dying, and then there's Vampiro getting thrown through a table. And it's, like, the exact... Like, they're white. They're, like... There's no chin to be seen. <laughs> like it's, it, it, it's crazy. You need to post these two pictures side by side when you post the yeah. podcast. I mean, that's exactly what he looked like. But uh, far exceeded anything I thought Vampiro was capable of. And this Pentagon Jr., let me tell you, if there is a season two, isn't the money match Pentagon Jr. as a baby face against Mil Mortes? Yes. I mean, that has to be the money match, right? I mean, you can't keep this guy a heel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I would do that. And, you know, Vampiro was his, his manager guy against Katarina or whatever. I mean, that would be perfect. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, or it, Katrina or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Sorry, these two unstoppable Katarina. monsters. I mean, this has to be the money match. Right. I mean, there can only be one of these people in the world. Like, there's no the world's not big enough for these two. It's Pentagon. He's, idiots. He's, yeah. he's got the most upside in his promotion. So, oh, absolutely. Sorry. He's the guy. Well, shit, I pre-bought tickets to AEW, uh, uh, the Windy City Classic. Pentagon Jr. is coming. And, like, the second they said Pentagon Jr., I was like, I got to go. I got to be there. Like, he's going to be in my city. Like, come on. Like, how do you not watch Pentagon Jr. in your city? Right? Yeah. I mean. If he's 20 minutes away from me, how could I possibly live with yeah, myself I mean, you, sitting on my couch and then 20 minutes away, Pentagon Jr. is beating some other fucker you've up? You've got to go see this fucking guy. Right. I mean, you know, so, yeah. So, Pentagon Jr., all in on him. All in on, on this storyline. The match. thought it was a great match. Um, I, this, you know this isn't my style of match. No, no, me. Either. And everybody. So I was listening. surprised. I thought this was going to be the one you hated, and that's why you hated this entire no, show. But okay, I, I, th- that's the thing. I didn't hate this show. I, you know, I gave it a five. I thought it was an okay show. 
I just, I just didn't think. Oh, Larry said you have to go fuck yourself. Is what well, he, said. he was very upset. Larry is, know. as always, a gentleman. Um, <laughs> I didn't hate the show. I thought it was an okay show. I just didn't think it was anywhere close to any kind of show of the year or anything like that. It was a redundant show, and we'll get to that as we go through. Yes. Uh, we'll move on now. The seven-way battle royal. This is for the uh, the Gift of Gods Championship, which, you know, the medallions and whatever. FedEx <laughs> versus Aerostar, Bengala, Big Rick, King Cuerno, Jack Evans, Sexy Star. A bunch of guys just running around, jumping all over the place. Aerostar, you know, does a dive from the third balcony, which is just fucking insane. Like, the, these guys, I, I, I don't know what they're going to possibly do. Like, and Helico and him, just, I, I don't know where they could possibly, other than, like, a helicopter, like, going over and them doing, like, a flip out of the hell. Like, I, I don't know. There's like going to be a limit to what they can possibly do, and I, I don't know. But they keep they keep raising it, and they keep raising the bar. But uh, this was just okay. I, I, I like a lot of these kind of scramble, you know, guys diving all over the place thing. But this one, it seemed, I don't know if it was maybe cut weird or something. I, I just wasn't into this one as much. It was, I mean, I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. I mean, how can you not like a match where Jack Evans, Aerostar, Phoenix, and Ricky Marvin, and what do they call him, Bengala? Bengala, right? Bengala, yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 and this King Cuerno, I, look, I think he is arguably the most solid overall worker on the entire roster. And this mm, is a very good roster. I like that guy a lot. Um, you know, and I'm looking forward to seeing him on Triple Mania, and I know he's in a match with a million other guys, but I hope he gets a chance to shine. He's a guy who I knew nothing about before Lucha Underground. I knew nothing about El Hijo, Fantasmo, or whatever his name is, uh, King Cuerno here. Um, and he's a guy who has, has thoroughly impressed me as, as sort of just being a, such a solid worker. And, um, you know, there's a lot to like here, but, it, you know, it didn't blow me away as any kind of, uh, you know, match of the year caliber match or anything, but it was enjoyable. And that's the thing. This is why I say, Rich, I didn't hate this show. We just we reviewed the first three matches and I liked all of them on some level. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, um, you know, I really didn't hate any of the matches on the show because the next match really wasn't. Uh, a- I hated this one. <laughs> yeah, but, it, like but here's the thing. It wasn't really a match. This, this yeah, is like it was what I like to call an angle presented as a match but it wasn't really a match it was an angle yes yeah, is uh blue demon jr blue demon sorry uh versus texano uh texano um tejano 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 yeah, rich the x is like a j with the, yeah i'm bad, I'm bad tejano tejano that's why, I took, yeah. that's why i took german uh but anyway chavo came out um it was terrible he you know, I, the match itself was awful. It, it was, it's not a match. I think that's the best way to say it, is if you went in saying, ah, let's see what this match is going to give me. Let's see what these two can do. And it, it wasn't really that. It was basically Chavo playing these guys both to, you know, hit like a fiddle throughout the seasons and turning on guys and say it was it was very Vince Russo-y. And that's I, I did not is like that. Is the Chavo was, stuff he, the least interesting stuff for you? Absolutely. Far and away. And he's been for I've never I've never seen the Chavo thing. It's It's honestly been since like 1998. When he was like running around with Eddie Guerrero and WCW, that I've enjoyed anything Chavo Guerrero has done. Yeah, people defend it and people get mad and no, 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 and and but by and large, when he's on anything, I turn away. I get my phone. I grab my iPad. I, I just do everything in my world because he just doesn't interest me whatsoever. And that beginning of a Lucha Underground, I was kind of into it. The first like. I gave it some potential for. Uh, I you thought know, the they first... freshened them up in the beginning of the season. Yeah, and then it just became the same old shit. It was just like dumb. I, I hated it. At the it. end yeah, of the day, this... he's he's dry ass Chavo Guerrero. I mean, right. what are you gonna do? And you, it's hard to defend Blue Demon Junior because. But I tell you, um, you know, before this match, I was thinking, you know, it, it's clear that this that this show has a pattern, and these are all wild brawls, and these are all guys fighting all over the building. And Blue Demon Junior had an excellent brawl on a triple-A pay-per-view earlier this year, and I thought, hey, you know, Tejano's pretty good, and he can brawl a little bit. These guys might have themselves as nice, and before I was done with that thought, 
It was over. It, yeah. it was all over, and it was just basically an angle. So it wasn't yeah. really a match. I can't really, you know, it, it's, you know, what, what can you really say about it? It was an angle. So Chavo's the master strategist and has everybody, everybody turning against each other. And it, it, what is allegiance? And it's just dumb. It's like perfect, like 1999 Vince Russo era stuff where it's just guy turning on a guy and then turning on the other guy to turn on that guy. It's like, you know, it's like, what the it's hell? Like, when it was over, like when it's over, like what, why do I care about any of these guys? All three of these guys are dummies. Like you're right. Cause they keep turning on each other. You're right. I mean, it gives them all something to do. I will say this. The promotion overall is very well booked. Um, you know, look, I have some quibbles with their booking. You can quibble about, you know, this little feud here. You can quibble about sexy star beating Pentagon Jr. I've certainly quibbled about that. But overall, everyone has a has a good direction and uh, things for the most part make sense. This is one of the stronger booked promotions in the world, in my opinion. And one of the things I do like about them more than more than kind of most other promotions is that everybody seems kind of on a somewhat equal level, like not necessarily where. You, you know, your champion doesn't matter or whatever, but everything sort of matters. Like every little angle has its own thing. And these guys live in their own kind of little world where whatever they're doing or whatever angle they're in is important. And that's something that we always scream about with WWE, where it just seems like everybody else is just kind of like the champions are kind of doing their thing. Like three or four of the guys and John Cena are doing their thing. And then everybody else is just kind of like, no one else matters. Right. Like, they're all just like everyone else is kind of like, let's just wrestle each other endlessly and see what happens. <laughs> like I'll win, you win. Like, whereas this is like, this Chavo thing, he doesn't care about the world title. He cares about this angle that's where, right. where you know, on the roster, says he cares about the championship because that's sort of what he's in. Pentagon Jr. doesn't care. He's in his little thing. He's in his little world. You know, and Helico is in his little world. You know, you know, Son of Havoc is in his little world, which is fine. But these guys, everything that they do is the, of the utmost importance to them because they're worrying about what's in front of them as opposed to the whole – Whereas WWE, yeah, these guys are just kind of endlessly and no one, everyone's in this blob where there's not blobs. There's a, there's a very distinct class system in Lucha Underground, which is cool. Yeah, everybody, so everybody has a focus and, you know, it's you're absolutely right. So uh, we'll move on to the main event. Mil Mortez versus Prince Puma. This is for the Lucha Underground Championship. I really, really enjoyed this match until the end. I was kind of surprised at how quick the end came. I thought they were really at a point kind of building something up and really getting there. And, and I thought man, this is really going to be just kind of like an epic, epic match. And I enjoyed the back and forth. And then all of a sudden, you know, Mil just won. And I was like, oh, no, okay. Not that I didn't want him to win, but I just thought the way it was built up for his win, it was pretty dominant at the end. It, it wasn't really the, you know, Prince Puma, you know, in the last gaps, or, you know, last gasp of his life. It was just kind of Mil Muertes when he wanted to finish it, he finished it and it was over. But if that's the story you want to tell, then that's fine. But um, I really don't have any strong thoughts about this match. And I know, you know, I'm supposed to because we're doing a wrestling podcast. I, it was a match. It was good. Um, it was better than average. It was okay. Um, I didn't love it. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I, That's fair. As soon, as soon as they went into the crowd early on, <laughs> I mean, it, because every match done. was the same. This one didn't necessarily need that. I think this one could have been okay without and that. It's like, I, I do agree with that. They're using the ring steps, and it's like, uh, at some point during the Lucha Underground season, it stopped being, it ceased being a Lucha promotion, and it turned into 1996 ECW. And why did that, why? Look, there could be elements of that. I think, here's the thing. Like, the Johnny Mundo... El Patron match would have worked much better if it was the only isolated match that was worked like that. Even if you did the first two matches that way with Vampiro and Pentagon having their, their, their match had to be worked like that. They had no choice. That, it had to be. But why did Muertes and Puma have to resort to that stuff? 
It's like at some point, two thirds of the way through the season, all of a sudden I was I was like watching like 1996 ECW. Just promotion. It's just every match is a wild no DQ brawl. And and it ceased being a lucha. Pro- you know, the beginning. Go back and watch the early episodes. There's lucha matches. It's a little bit of everything. I had someone arguing with me on Twitter last night saying, you don't understand Lucha Underground. It's the best of all kinds of wrestling. Well, this show is a horrible example to make that point. These were all matches that were exactly the same. So, it, it, you know, I liked every match on the show, but it's like, you know, I, I, I can't say that this was a great show because everything was just too samey to me. And it's been this way mm-hmm. for weeks. You know, and, and, and that's what's bo- that's why this promotion has slowly I've slowly gone from I'm all in, I love this shit, to eh, now it's just another show that I watch and I hope that I see some cool spots. I'm not invested in this promotion like I was in the beginning. Because I really th- and hopefully if there is a season two, they can hit the reset button and give that variety that they claim to give people once again, instead of just every match being you know, an ECW arena uh, tribute match, which is right. which is what this show was and what this promotion has sort of e- devolved into. So, um, you know, and this match, again, it's, it didn't need that first half of the match where they were brawling with ring steps and hitting each other with weapons and whatever else. It didn't need that. It really could have been a great match if it was the one match on the show that was completely different and it was just a wrestling match. Because mm-hmm. these two guys are good enough to do that. And Mil Mortes, I've never liked that. I've never liked him in any incarnation. I've always thought he was shit. And I thought he's been excellent in this role. And they- He's great. I love him. He's, he might be one of my favorite. Pentagon Jr. is you know, the, the default favorite. I'm not even going to pick him. But one of my overall favorite guys and a guy that every single time he's on the screen, I enjoy him. Because I think he's just so much of a, as you said, different. When he comes out, there's just uh, something about him, something about the way he conducts himself, the way he works. Everything is just perfect. He, he, he's nailing the character. They, someone said, hey, this is what we want out of you, and he's, he's doing he it. He does so many little, awesome, subtle things. Like the week he came back, I forget who he faced. It might have been Phoenix, as a matter of fact. And he did his ring entrance, and Phoenix did a dive over the top rope. Yeah, oh, that was Phoenix, yeah. And if you recall, I've never seen anything like this. Phoenix dove into him, and Muerte's just completely, <laughs> yeah, completely no-sold it like a brick wall. And yeah, Phoenix bounced off of him and fell to the and ground. Phoenix and Phoenix like, sold the damage. The fuck is this? <laughs> what are you doing? Which was great. I mean, it was just yeah. phenomenal. And he does – and that's just one example. This, he does a million little things like that. And, and you know, I think he does a, a great job in this role. It's the most interesting he's ever been as a professional wrestler by far. And from that respect, look, the match was good, and there was nothing wrong with it. And it just, you know – I really wish they would have worked it in a different manner. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it a little bit more than you, but but I'm with you. I, I thought, and I think that's what I, when I watched this, I sort of said, okay, I'm, this is all this match, this night, this thing, like this is the blow off. It, like I said, if, if if I knew for a fact they were coming back for season two, and if I knew for a fact that this is what was going to happen, is just these wild brawls every single time, I wouldn't like it. But in this context of this being this final spectacle show, I didn't necessarily mind it because I enjoyed this, But but I'm with you. I, so this is going to sound weird, and I don't know if it's going to come out properly in the way that it's formulating in my brain, but I want to know what you think of this. Um, as, as far as this, <laughs> this is a bad way to start. This Ultima Lucha show, like, I, again, I, I thought it, I liked it. I didn't hate the show. Um, I think if this Ultima Lucha show was a Raw, right, and this kind of speaks to context that we talk about all the time, 
If this Ultima Lucha show was a Raw, I think it'd be considered like the greatest Raw ever. Do you kind of see where I'm going with that? But be, but because it was a Lucha Underground show, for me, I, 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 I thought it was a little disappointing. Because I thought I, I personally think Lucha Underground was capable of a whole lot more for their big ultimate season-ending show than what they ended up delivering. Whereas I think if this were a Raw, because we haven't seen this kind of intensity on Raw in so long in the PG era, like if this was next week's Raw, people would be raving about this show forever. And to be fair, there's a lot of people who are raving about the show, but I kind of hope you see where I'm going with this. I, yeah, I got you here. I, I think one thing that I loved, and, and, and I know you mentioned on Twitter, and I think I, I meant the atmosphere of that crowd. I don't know what they did to this crowd to make them, and, and maybe it's a testament to them building up these guys and building this up as this is the final thing, and this is it, and this is the final of the... I don't know what they did, but the crowd was just insane. The entire time and 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 Stryker and Chavello did a great job too of just making everything seem super important and super fun and everything was just like you wanted to be there you wanted to see this you wanted to experience even if you didn't love the, the the in the ring and everything that was going on you just said shit I wish I was there like I wish I was at Foil Heights right now because it was just such a cool atmosphere and a cool just everything about it seemed like it was a lot of fun but no I'm, I'm with you it seemed everything seemed important and that's that's hard to do, but at the same time, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think that people are a little bit disappointed because I thought I, I thought when I, I jumped on Twitter and asked people, everybody was gonna say, "Oh, it was the greatest thing ever," and then I was actually surprised. A lot of people had said, "Ah, it was okay" or whatever, and I was like, "Shit, I don't of, know." Lot, like, listen, a lot of people are riding with Joe Lanza on this and think that it was an average show. Yeah, but as like a one hour, like I don't think I've ever had like an hour or two of wrestling that was ever just like, "Holy shit!" Like this, like everything that they packed into the show and everything that they did, I thought was awesome for a two hour show. But I think a lot of people were hoping for. What was like a pay-per-view – and I think maybe that was the issue is that they built this up in a way that it felt like it was going to be like a pay-per-view or that it was going to be like pay-per-view quality. And it wasn't necessarily that. It was just one of their big fi- uh, you know, finale shows. Like they were just going to give you – it was more of the TV realm than a pay-per-view realm if that makes sense. This was the best ECW tribute pay-per-view ever. I mean that's yes. what it felt like <laughs> to me. It felt like an ECW tribute show. Um, you know, it, it, it's you – know, they were, they were, it was a bunch of really good matches in that style. Uh, it was, you know, and, and, and I really feel like, um, you know, if, if, if this were like, I, I guess it's not coming out the way I want it to, but if, if this were like a raw, this would be universally praised as the greatest raw of all time. But it, it kind of had, I had different expectations for this. I, I, I don't really know how to, I, I really thought it would be a more well-rounded, fully formed show than it ended up being. It just ended up being a two-hour collection of brawls that, for me, all melted together. I I, I don't really know other uh, other way to put it. With that said, it doesn't. You know, I enjoyed watching the show from start to finish. At no point during the show was I, you know, staring at my watch or wishing I was doing something else with my time. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I it was okay. So. Th- <laughs> Yeah, I, I was gonna say something about Lucha. Whatever, we, we'll, we'll wait and see. I don't know. Is it a fitting end to season one? Are you okay if that was the end? If that's the end forever, yes, I have no problem with that because okay. I, I, like I said, if it comes back, great because I'm hyped for you know more crazy dives and. But I'm not sitting here at the edge of my seat thinking to myself, you know, God damn it, I will not have closure until this Black Lotus mystery is. So I don't give a shit. So from that standpoint, I don't need season two to see uh, Havoc, Ivalice, and Angelico win their trios titles back from the evil dead men. Um, I don't need to see season two, you know, to see the Black Lotus thing play out. Um, 
But if season two happens, I will gladly turn it on every week and I will enjoy these men and, and women destroying their bodies flying off of the ceiling. I, you know, so that's the okay. way I look at it. All right, that's about where I'm at as well. So that's fine. Yeah, I, I was, I'm kind of cool with it ending that way. And that's sort of the way I, I went into it physically or, or mentally, at least rather, saying, okay, this is it. That's it. And then even the to be continued, I kind of said, oh, all right. That's fine because that's I've done that with all uh, other shows as well, and that's not to say if it, obviously when Lucha Underground comes back, I'm going to watch it or whatever. But I've done that with a lot of shows where I've kind of come up with symbolic ends to them. Like, like I don't know, did you ever watch The Office? Yeah, of course. Yeah. When Steve Carell left, there was the episode where he walks away. He's at the airport and he just walks down to to get on the plane to go to Colorado or whatever. I said, you know what? I'm done. That's good. That's the main character. Everything's been built up for that. Everything, and I'm cool. That's fine. And I know what went on for, you know, three or four seasons after that, but I came with a symbolic end. That's how I came with Lucha Underground to an extent. I'm going to watch it if it comes back, but I went the entire way saying, you know what? This is it. This is the party. Let's go. Let's end this. Boom. Done. Okay. I'm kind of good. So we'll see. But I enjoyed it as a finality uh, as a a finale. And I think I'm kind of done. But I think that's a uh, very interesting analogy comparing it to the office. I like that because really, if if if. If, if there's someone who's never seen The Office before and they're like, oh, I'm going to watch The Office on Hulu. Have you seen The Office? I would I, – you know, I think you gave a reasonable endpoint where they can stop watching the show mm-hmm. to when he leaves the show. I mean you can keep watching if you want for those three you know, seasons. Yeah, and people told me, oh, it's still funny. It's funny. And I kind of was like, yeah, I know. But I just kind of told myself it was over and now it's over. Like That was – that. you're right. That That's a natural endpoint. And I can totally see that analogy working here. If this is it for Lucha Underground, I'm not going to feel like I have a bunch of loose ends that I just need tied up. I, I don't feel that way at all. Right. I, I, can't, I, I, I was able to kind of reconcile everything. And that's why I said a lot of – there was a lot of these weird like – stories going into season twos or whatever i was kind of done i i feel like regardless of if they come i'm kind of done like being invested maybe in that respect where i'll watch it for the in ring and i'll watch it to kind of fun but as far as like the investment in the stories and these guys i kind of was done because i thought they did a good job of, of, of wrapping them up but we'll see but either way yeah move on I, to the top, I, I, you so. know you're right you know you know i'm not really interested in a sitcom uh revolving around andy bernard you know what I mean? That's really what came right. down to with the office. You know, as cool as James Spader is, because he took. Why don't we do? Why don't we do a podcast on the office? You want to do that? A, I'll do an office podcast. All right. After after I, this, we'll talk. We'll get have out to of rewatch here. them all, but uh, but that's know, fine. I, I'll that's admit, fine. James Spader brought me back to that next season because he's. I, I I watched I watched a few episodes of him. I, I enjoy oh. some James Spader, and I thought the, when Will Ferrell was on it, I avoided it like the plague. But the Robert California season. Yeah, and I and I don't mind Will Ferrell, but I've kind of gotten over him in the past like six years. But then the show was you know kind of. It was, it was the show ended up, you know, built around, uh, you know, Ed Helms character, which yeah, it's yeah. like that, 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 that is the epitome of a character that needed to just be a fringe <laughs> character. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can't build your show around, uh, what was the name of his character? I just said it five minutes ago. Andy Bernard. Yeah, Andy you Bernard. can't build a television show around Andy Bernard that it just didn't work. Yeah. I, I popped in on one episode once and like, he's in the main office and he's the boss. And I was like, you know what? I'm done. <laughs> like I, I, I made my good decision. I'm done. I'm good. Yeah. So. All right, moving on to the G1. Yes, we talked all that without talking about the G1. Well, you know, we did do a midpoint podcast with the airport's Rob McCarron, where we uh, really broke everything down in excruciating detail. Are you completely caught up now with the G1? I am, yeah. Yeah. I'm ready to go. So am I. Um, Unfortunately, there's a marathon of shows coming up in the next five days, so 
Uh, I, I'm caught up for now, but I won't be after a little This bit thing while, is but. a fucking grind, man. I, I got it's. I, I hit the. I hit the wall. I think it was Wednesday this week where I, there was that night eleven that came up, and I legitimately was just like, I don't really want to watch this. I was like, I have to. Like, I know I need to, and like I should. But I was just like, I, I was coming up with, you know, where you come up with like excuses to do anything but this. It's like laundry or like dishes. You're like, well, on the floor, I got to do the floors. Like, like you're just doing stuff and you're bouncing, you know, the dishes are falling over themselves. You're like, no, nah, but I got to like, you know, do it. It was like, just do it. Just just watch it. And it was I, it's not good when you get to that point. I needed this break, but I, I think I'm kind of ready. But at the same time, if, if this was it and if it was over, I'd probably be OK. It's, I've already blown. It's hard, I've already man. blown off the tag matches. Uh, I did that a that long time ago. You got to do that. It, it's recommended. You got to do it. As much as it, you get little cool stuff in those, but man, I don't, I don't know how you guys are doing that. Um, and now I'm at the point where, you know, if, if we weren't doing this website <laughs> and this podcast, I'd be blowing off a lot of the G1 matches and just watching the stuff that I was super interested. In. Yeah. Well, well Gallows and Udro might lose my... If they're not against a, like a, a, a legit good guy. Like, if they're not against like an all-star or a top-tier guy... I think I might pass a Yujiro matchup. Gallows, to me, has been the worst performer in the tournament, even worse than Yujiro. I think the Yujiro – look, I'm not saying Yujiro is good. You just like the babe. You just like the babe. Please, That's why you don't want to Please don't misunderstand me. I don't think Yujiro is good. I don't think he's been good. But I do think the Yujiro hate has kind of just become a meme at this point um, to where people kind of overdo it. He's not nearly as bad as people say he is. He's not good. And I'm not saying he's good, okay? <laughs> Let's make that clear. You're putting him on the Gallows scale, I think. But it, it's like, to me, Gallows has been worse. And I'd, I'll watch 100 Yujiro matches before I'll watch a Gallows single. Gallows has been so bad in this tournament. Um, he just looks like he doesn't give a shit. And I can't excuse that. I very rarely, very rarely will rip a wrestler who puts in tremendous effort, even if they end up, you know, even if they stink. I appreciate effort. Like Tenzan. I mean, that, that's Tenzan exactly. right Exactly. You know, a guy who's like, I really want to be good, but I just can't move my legs anymore. Like, like I'm going to the top rope. I'm doing stuff. I'm taking falls. It just looks like garbage because I can't move anymore. But he's trying. Effort is very important to me. And I, I get the sense, and this may not be true, and I've, you know, I get the sense that Doc Gallows just doesn't give a he, – he works like he doesn't give a fuck. I feel like he's just going through the motions and – He's Butch Reed. He works like a he's Butch Reed. He's he's like he's a pretend. He's like playing a pro wrestler. You know how people say that? Like he's playing a pro wrestler. He's out there portraying a pro wrestler, and and he's putting in the absolute bare minimum amount of effort. And it's and and it, and it's and it and it shows. And um, even if some of his matches have turned out okay, um, he just it pisses me off. Like his presence on the screen annoys me. Yeah, I, I don't feel like he's working as hard as the other people. And as a consumer, I, that fucking annoys me. I, I, you know, I pay for this shit. Get out there and work hard. And it, 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 it's, it's, it's offensive to me on some level, especially when all the people around him are sacrificing their bodies and working sure. hard. Sure, and we've heard that too. And we've heard we've we have talked to guys on the show. We have had Lance Archer in the show, and we've point blank asked him in the back, "Do you guys go out there and say, shit, that was a really good match? We have to top that, or we have to be good, or we have to put our full effort in?" Because we, I, I asked him that. Like, is it you know, are you guys sort of in the back and just saying, "Well, that was a really good match. Well, we're going to do our thing and whatever." And he said, no, no, no. I, I see a good match and I go, OK, shit, I got to top that. I got to be better. I got to be give my full effort because these guys are all giving their full effort. And you're not getting that out of Gallows. You're getting the opposite. I, all I ask for is to work hard. It's the same thing in sports. You know, people rip on guys when they don't produce, you know, uh, you know, uh, athletes, uh, you know, on your favorite team. Look, all you can ask of an athlete is to give maximum effort. 
You know what I mean? It's like right. If they're not good, there's nothing they can. Yeah, do. I mean, they know they're not good. They, they, they're. It's not their fault. They're not good. Like, it's like when Dan Ugla got ran out of Atlanta. Look, he, he was awful. Everyone recognized him, but he was out there killing himself trying to be good. And you know, a, a lot of the Atlanta fans was a big thing in Atlanta. A lot of the Atlanta fans. Rob McCarron's gonna be real happy about that. You know, they treated him horribly. Right a lot of fans treated him horribly leaving Atlanta. It's like, what do you want the guy to do? He went out there, he tried. His, his skills declined, and in his case, he was blind. You know, it's like he had problems with his eyes, but it's like all you can ask from athletes or wrestlers. All I all I ask personally is maximum effort. Go out there and give everything you have. And I just don't feel like this guy's doing that. And I maybe I'm off base. I don't know. Maybe I'm speaking out of school. To me, it does. I don't feel like this guy's. I I feel like he's putting in the least amount of effort on anybody. He's just going through the motions. Yeah, a lot. Everything he's doing is going through the motions, and it 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 shows. I feel like a lot of his New Japan tenure has been that way too. Yep. We've been waiting. We, we're, we're on like year two now of being like – because we, we honestly – we gave him a shot. We said, OK, he's got to get used to the speed. He's got to do that. There's just been nothing. There's been absolutely, absolutely nothing out of him. And yeah, it's, it's, it's pathetic. Of all the guys that really have just not done the most with their position and, – and, and, and you, look at his, you look at his tag partner. You look at Carl Anderson, what he's doing. There you go right there. When he's in a tag match with Gallows, he can kind of play up and be kind of funny, happy-go-lucky, the Maria stuff. That, But when he's in the G1 in a singles match and he knows it's a big deal, he's giving his full-on effort. And that's that's a guy right there where you can look at the difference between the two. Yeah. I, is he's been able to shut that off. He's been able to say, yeah, that was me being silly, you know, guns and gals or whatever. Here's real me. You know, here's me putting full effort because I'm getting this opportunity in singles matches in G1 in front of these people. They've named me one of the guys. I think that's important. And I think a lot of the guys understand that, that it's a big deal to be named to this tournament, that it's a big deal to be a part of it. And Gallows is not. Gallows doesn't seem like he cares. I mean, which is fine. I mean, that's what he is. Look at Mike Welgan. Right. (laughs) That's a guy who. This is a guy who means the world to him. And he's out there busting his ass. And he's being super critical of his own performances, too. Uh, you know, going on Twitter and saying, that, oh, I felt I let you guys down tonight, the other night, in one of the tag matches. And people are like, dude, what are you talking about? You're great. And it's like, I appreciate that as a, as a, as a fan and a paying customer, by the way. As a paying customer and a fan, I appreciate effort. And that's a lot of modern wrestling, too. I mean, that, that's a big deal with, with, with modern wrestling as well. We've, we've talked about it numerous times on this show of kind of that breakdown of character uh, and, and human and, like, person and wrestler and, like, where you kind of feel like you're on a similar level with these guys. Whereas it's not like the 80s or whatever. Where, where, and the wrestlers felt that way, too. Oh, fuck these, kid, you know, stupid fans or whatever. You know, they're going to pay me. But now it's sort of a, hey, we know this guy. I see him after the show. You know, I, I buy T-shirts from him or whatever. I want you to give me some decent effort out there. I mean, you know, I want you to, to, to kind of wow me and entertain me. Your job is to entertain me right now. Absolutely. That's what modern wrestling is. And, and, and honestly, for people listening, I'm going to pose the question. When you watch these Doc Gallows matches – do you get the sense that he's giving it all he has to have the best match possible? I, I honestly don't get that feeling at all. I feel like the opposite. I feel like he's doing the bare minimum to get by. I just, I, you and, know, the, I, I, and what you can do is, and, and there's a few guys in this tournament who aren't necessarily having, you know, what I would consider amazing matches every single time out or whatever, you know, a guy like Yano, uh, and Naito's a guy who I think is having a great tournament, but he hasn't really necessarily had the best kind of bell to bell matches, but they, they're telling stories while they're out They're They're getting their character over. They're doing something. They're, they're, they're doing something different than just going through the motions. Whereas Gallows is not, I mean, look at a guy like Yano who, who is not having good matches, but I'm entertained by that. I'm enjoying. When they're I'm done, enjoying Yano in this tournament. Oh, I enjoy him too. Yeah, I, I've really been into it. Especially the win against Shibata was, was awesome. That was like the best thing ever. Yeah. It was really, really cool. And yeah, no, he's a guy that that 
Yeah, bell to bell. If I was just saying, you know, if I was being a, a grumpy, if you're being, you know, a, if you're being a star rating geek, is what you're saying. Right. Hiano has had a terrible tournament. He sucked and he's been awful. You know, here's two star, you know, this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm kind of laughing. I'm chuckling. I'm going, okay, that's Yano being Yano or whatever. It's 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 fun. It's entertaining. Gallows is not doing that. Yeah, I'm. I'm his matches are done, and my eyes are just dry and bleeding. I'm like, what the hell? What did I just watch? Like, why did I waste? I feel like every time I'm like, why did I waste those 13 minutes of my he's life? He's arguably the low point on every show that he's wrestled yeah. in a singles match. Right. I mean, go back and look at him. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, you know, that match against Tenzon from last night, Oof. how bad was that? Oh, God. You know, no, that was, it was uh, Folly and Tenzon. Actually. It was following times out, but he uh, he had one. Gallows Gallows wrestled Tanahashi last night on last night's show, and Gallows was so bad in that match. I mean, he blew at least three spots in that match. Yep. And Tanahashi was working his ass off, and it's there like, was nothing to do. Yeah, you you couldn't. And make what that work. separates Gallows from these other terrible guys is like Fale. Okay, Fale isn't any good, but Fale can have good matches against the right people. Gallows can't have good matches against anybody. Who does he have right. good matches against? I mean, that guy, we, what, he, he, you know, we just, you know, F- Fale has a match with Tanahashi, and they go out there and they kill it and they have a great match, right? Fale goes out there with uh, Okada on a pay-per-view a few months ago. He has a great match. Fale has matches against Nakamura, and they have some surprisingly good matches. And it's like, when does Doc Gallows ever deliver with anyone? I mean, it, he just never delivers. I just don't think the guy gives a shit. I, you know, I don't know. That's just my take. But um, I don't want to spend another half hour complaining about Doc Gallows. I think what we want to do here is do something a little different. You know, everybody's breaking down the matches. We did that ourselves on the podcast we did with Rob McCarron. Everyone's breaking down the matches and breaking down the shows and this and that. Um, what we kind of wanted to do was uh, go through the rest of these shows and kind of try to figure out where they're going. Because the standings really are, you know, it, it, they're still all lumped together here. It looks like they're doing the parody booking thing again. So uh, we've got the schedule in front of us, and we have the current standings, and we're going to try to figure out um, what these finals are going to look like. So uh, with that said, with where the standings are now, have you changed your mind on your final or your winner? I'm still, I'm still the same. I still think Nakamura is going to win it, uh, and I still <sighs> – I'm sort of torn on the A block, though. That's that's the one thing I'm not entirely sure about because I didn't expect this Naito thing to be as hot and heavy as it's been. And I don't know if they necessarily. I don't know. I don't know if that was the plan all along. I don't know if they've kind of lucked into it, or I don't know if it's just kind of a mirage that he's there with eight points. You know, I had Tanahashi in the finals with them uh, with Nakamura. You, you could legit have Naito in there. I really, really do think that's not out of the realm anymore. Um, you know, push comes to shove. I think Tanahashi is still in the end. You know, in the finals, but I don't like the Naito thing. Is it's there? All right. Well, like, Nakamura. Let's go back to Nakamura. He's got six yeah. points. He's tied with a bunch of people, and and they're all. Tra- he's tied with Carl Anderson, Hiroki Goto, and Michael Elgin. But uh, I, I should mention that by the time a lot of people listen to the show, there will be a, a show that happened uh, for the B Block. So we might be out of date with some of these numbers. So. If you're hearing this now and you're going, you idiots, this is what happened on, you know, whatever. We recorded on Thursday night. So, yeah, it's Thursday night. They're, they're trailing Okada and Ishii. You have eight. So let's get Nakamura into the final. I mean, basically, and I think someone worked this out already. He basically just has to win out. Correct. Yeah. So yep. if he beats Yujiro and then he beats, uh, let's see, he's got Yujiro. He's got Hanma. Then he's got uh, Kojima. 
and then his last match is against Okada. So even if Okada wins out, if Nakamura – until the Nakamura match, if they both win out until the final night and then Nakamura defeats Okada – Right, he has the tiebreaker then. Yes, he'll have the same amount of points and he'll own the tiebreaker. And the other people with eight and six, which would be Ishii and then the uh, Goto, Elgin, they could lose a match along the way and get knocked out. And they, th- those are the kind of guys who can realistically lose to anybody. So it's, you know, that, that doesn't really matter. So it's very easy for Nakamura to get into the finals now. Uh, right. If you look at a guy like Ishii, if you're wondering, oh, well, how does he? I mean, Ishii has Goto on, on the ninth. I mean, that's an easy one that he could drop and, and it'd be fine. It'd be whatever. Um, uh, Elgin has a bunch. You know, Elgin's got a Elgin Goto. Elgin can lose to anyone. Right, there's an Elgin Ishii match coming up, and that one's going to probably one of these guys. I mean, that that's going to be if you wanted to play a spoiler, one of those guys would play a spoiler to the other necessarily. But these guys are they can trade. And a lot of people probably... think Ishii can lose to Hanma because that match is in Cork and Hall, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. and that might be a good spot to give Hanma an enormous win because Hanma defeating Ishii in Cork. First of all, Hanma versus Ishii in Cork and Hall is going to be over. That match is going to be over like crazy. Okay, and if I'm not mistaken, isn't that positioned as the main event? That is, uh, I I could be wrong about that. Maybe Kojima Nakamura. No, yeah, on the 12th. Yep, they they have that as at least. Well, no, yeah, that's what they had on their schedule. Yep, on the 12th, that is the main event. So Hanma Ishii is going on last in Corican Hall, and there's a Mm -hmm. lot of people who think Hanma's winning that match. And the way these standings are playing out, that could be the spoiler match for Ishii that really knocks Mm -hmm. him out of contention. So the point here being. Do you feel like let me, I'm going to pose the question to you? Are Okada and Nakamura both going to win out until that final night, and then it's going to come down to that match? Is that how you yes. feel? Like okay, that's 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 absolutely. And right I think so. yeah, there, there was there was a few roadblocks in the way that you know Nakamura had to drop maybe an extra fall or whatever, and Okada, you know, you know, I, it worked out though. It, everything worked out pretty well, and I think now Okada just wins out. Uh, Nakamura wins out. They get to that final match. Nakamura beats him. The only on that the, final the only night. monkey I mean, wrench they really ran into was Nakamura. Um, losing by forfeit to Elgin. Yeah. So in that case, he probably had to get a win back against somebody else or maybe not, because as we just discussed, it can play out with him winning out anyway. You know what I mean? So maybe there's someone in there. Yeah. Well, I, I think if, if, if Nakamura didn't drop that, they would have had Okada lose one match on the way there. See, I don't know, you know if I mean? it affected Okada's path as much as I think maybe Nakamura may have been set to lose to someone else instead of Elgin. And now he's just going to beat that oh, okay. person. I, I okay. So maybe Ishii was the guy who was going to beat Nakamura. And yeah, we talked about that a little bit. Okay. I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So the, the Okada path was, was what it was. And then Nakamura was just going to drop. A fall to someone else. Oh, okay, I, I got right, that. Right, because it would have worked out where if he was behind, he could tie him and then pass him on the final night anyway via the tiebreaker. So the Elgin forfeit, um, which we all thought could have been, oh, God, they're going to have to rebook everything. It really didn't matter all that much um, in the grand scheme now that we've seen how it played out. But So, yeah, Block B is pretty cut and dry. Now, Block A, the reason I cut you off before is because I think that's far more complicated, and I think you we're on kind of the right path because with this NATO thing now, you know, it, it, it's all bets are off because this is this is. But, but again, it's like you said, did they know that it was going to catch on as well as it has? Because he's legitimately over as a full fledged heel at this point. These crowds can't stand. them. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's been insane. I mean, I think they thought that they were going to be, you know, able to 
sort of play this character out a little bit and see how the fans react and see, you know, what sort of happens and, 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 and maybe, you know, slowly build it up. And then, you know, at Wrestle Kingdom, you can bring in the other guys or the other, you know, the, the other ingovernables or whatever, but no, no, it's like a full on like fucking craze. <laughs> like people are going nuts. Like in America, everyone's loving it. Everyone's fucking loving it in Japan. They're, they're booing the hell out of him. He's like a legit, you know, hated he, I like, I, and I wonder, I, I, I know that they have this thing booked out pretty well in advance and, and I, have no reason to believe that they won't kind of change what they their plan was, but you got to imagine they've heard some of these reactions and looked at each other and went, oh, I mean, like, do we go for it? I mean, and, and Naito can lose. I mean, that's the always thing that you have to remember, too, is that it's not an automatic bid necessarily to, to go to Wrestle Kingdom. You get that briefcase and you can defend it and you can lose it on the way there, too. So it doesn't necessarily mean that Naito is going to be in your Wrestle Kingdom main event. But, I mean, to, to be honest, like... Well, they're not going to change booking on the fly based on the crowd reactions. Whatever, no, no, whatever I, I, plan well, they had in place, they're going to go with. Yeah. I don't think they're sitting there saying, all right, well, if the... I think he's doing... Uh, I don't know about that. I, I feel like he's doing a lot better than I oh, thought Oh, but there's no way they're changing their long-term booking. I, I don't buy that for a second. No, I know, but from a point standpoint of where he's at right now, and you look at the people that, that, that voted in our prediction poll or whatever and all that sort of stuff, nobody had night. No, no, doing no, but well what I'm saying doing. is... No, that no, I, I agree, but what I'm saying is... If the plan was for him not to win the block and to not win the tournament, oh no, I, I agree with that. No, absolutely. Yeah, they're not changing their mind based on his. Crowd. No, it's, that's why I still said Tanahashi's going to win it. I'm saying that they, that maybe they look at each other and go, eh, well, you know, whatever. You know, it's not a big deal. But yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I think. I mean, you could do something silly where maybe you say, "Fuck it, let's have him win," and then he loses the briefcase. I don't think I, I'm still going with Tanahashi winning it. But I absolutely do think that the points that he has at this point, and the fact that he's been a runner and that he's. He's beating guys that at the beginning of the tournament, nobody. I mean, you look at our predictions, nobody thought he was going to beat Kotobushi, let alone the way he did beat Kotobushi. It wasn't even like a back and forth, Naito pulls one out thing. It was like, yeah, I, I dominantly beat Kotobushi. Like that, I that I wonder if that got changed on the fly. I, I'm not buying it. I think they just... You thought he was going to have eight points at this point? No, I didn't, but I think that their plan was for him to have eight points at this point. I don't think that they've changed anything on the fly. Uh, I, that, don't I don't think that's the way they do things. I think this was plotted okay. out. And well, literally nobody else thought this was going to happen. So yeah. they, they are master predictors and thought that he would egg it over and then thought that, you know, we got we, nobody. Else, I mean, you're looking at we had, what, 300 people join our thing and not a single person. Well, I mean, had any clue that Naito was going to be. I don't buy for a single second that on the first two nights of the tour, Gato looked at the reactions Naito was 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 getting and then took out his pencil, flipped it over to the eraser and started changing results. I don't buy that for a second. I, I, you thought he was going to cleanly beat Kotobushi in the middle of the tournament. Why not? Okay. I, is that really that crazy? No. I mean, I, I don't think that's that. I mean, that's a guy that a lot of people thought was legitimately going to get to the, you know, the semifinals or the finals or, or not okay, semifinals, but, but, if the idea, but be in but, play at the end. But if the idea is to turn Naito heel and give him a legitimate uh, big-time push and bring in his stablemates from Mexico after this tournament is over, I mean, you got to push the guy in the tournament, right? So he's got to get some key wins. So, I yeah. mean, I, I don't think it's crazy that he beat Ibushi, and I, I don't think it's crazy that, that that was plotted out at all. I mean, Yano just beat Shibata. I mean, you know, these guys got to beat each other. You know what I mean? It's it's and I don't I don't think I don't think Naito and Ibushi are on such different levels to where that was shocking to me. I, I didn't see that as a shocking result. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just didn't. But um, the final A block night in sumo, which is the second to last night, Tanahashi's facing AJ Styles. Um, are we really overanalyzing this block? Do you think it's just going to come down to that match? Yeah, I do. So, you know, Shibata's got Doc Gallows on that night. 
Um, Abushi has Togi Makabe. I think we talked about this a little bit when we did the podcast with Rob. We, we should mention real quick, just a quick for people that don't have the standings in front of them or don't know. Uh, Shibata has eight, Styles has eight, Tanahashi has eight, and Naito has eight, and Bad Luck Folly has eight. So there's there's a bunch of guys at the top of the and eight. Abushi uh, has, six. has six. Uh, Togi Makabe has six. Toriano has four. Dakeos has two. Tenzan has two. You don't have to worry about those Forget guys. Mak- worry about the top. Yeah, worry, worry about those top six or whatever. The only guy mentioned. with six points you have to worry about is Abushi. Right. Okay. Now, we talked about this when we did the, po- the podcast with Rob. Um, Togi Makabe could easily beat Kota Ibushi in that match and play spoiler for Ibushi. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we may be overanalyzing. This thing may just come down to the Tanahashi Styles winner. Um, the only other question would be, would it require a massive upset of Doc Gallows knocking off Shibata on the final night? Remember, Shibata's facing Tanahashi next. Yeah. Well, it's a Shibata have here coming up. Let me see. He's got, I'll tell you right now. He's got, yeah. he's got Tanahashi next. Okay. Okay. Then he's got Tenzon. He's not losing to Tenzon. And then he's got Gallows. These, this block only has three matches. Oh, that's it. Oh, shit. Hmm. <sighs> so, yeah, so let's tricky. see. If, yeah, I don't know. He loses to Tanahashi, right? That leaves him with eight. Yeah. But then he can, then, then he can only get to 12. He can get to 12, yeah. But Tanahashi could also get to 12, but he would have the tiebreaker. He would have the tiebreaker over Tanahashi. If he yeah. lost to him. Now, I think Shibata beats Tanahashi, okay? But then gets – because then I think he'll get knocked off by another one of these guys. It's it's. I think he'll get knocked off either by uh, uh, Tenzan or the huge upset, which they will do on the final day from time to time against Gallows. Because at that point, he'd have to end up with less points than Tanahashi. So Tanahashi, but then they'd be tied again. Yeah. So Tanahashi almost has to win that match. He kind of has to win that, yeah, because then then Shibata's going to have that, yeah. Because Shibata's not going to lose the. Shibata would have to lose to both though, but he's not going to lose to Tenzan and Gallows. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that would be. So that would be one for the ages. So Tanahashi's going to the final. He has to beat Shibata. Essentially, based on Shibata's opponents, because Shibata. Unless we assume that Shibata's going to drop two, and that would be real. I'd be floored if he lost (laughs) both of those. He could lose one of them. Yeah, that would. But then it doesn't work out unless uh-huh. AJ is the guy going through. But it would kind of take away from the drama because then even if Tanahashi won, he's winning for Shibata and not himself. Right. And I don't think they're going to do that. I think it, they've got – they're going to get to a point where it comes down I, – I, it's going to be down to Tanahashi in style. So if that's the case, yeah. Tanahashi has to win. Tanahashi has to win. Yeah, Tanahashi has to win that match. So I think we're probably over over uh, analyzing that block and, as well. And, and Styles, uh, we didn't mention Styles has Balak Folly coming up. Uh, he's got Tanahashi, of course, the aforementioned. Then he's got Tenzon as well. So he had eight. Yeah, he he just has to win. You know, win out and then lose to Tanahashi in the. Now to get Abushi into the mix on the final night, let's see if we can do that. He would have to beat Bad Luck Folly. He would have to beat Toru Yano. Makabe. And then he has to beat everybody. Yeah, he's got to beat everybody. He he could okay. So his path is this: he needs to beat Fale, Yano, and Makabe, get to twelve points, right? But then, no, you know he can't. He lost the tiebreaker to Tanahashi. Well, right, but what was the result? What did he do with Styles again? That was on. Like, he beat Styles. He beat okay. Styles. Lost to Tanahashi. So you keep him alive because then if Styles. If if him and Styles if if Styles beats Tanahashi to put Styles at twelve, Abushi would go through. But then again, 
it'd be similar to the Tanahashi Shibata situation where Styles mm-hmm. isn't wrestling for himself. He's wrestling. For yeah. That, and that's, yeah, that's kind of shallow. <laughs> so sense, you, know. you can kiss Ibushi goodbye, in my opinion. Yeah. There's no chance. Yeah. He's, he's losing one of those. And you can kiss the Shibata Tanahashi loser goodbye. In my opinion. And realistically, that's going to be Shibata. They're not going to have Shibata Gallows be an important match for Shibata. And they're not going to have Tanahashi wrestling for someone else in the main event. Right. So, Realistically, we just killed the drama for everybody because Sorry. Both, both, <laughs> we killed it on both ends. Both of these so. blocks are coming down to one match where it's winner take all. Right. I can't see a scenario where they're wrestling for somebody else. Yeah, and it's possible that the, the final result could be a little bit different, but those four are basically all you got right now. I think. I mean, there's no other way they can go here. Um, the Ibushi run would be insane, and I don't think that's not the way they've been booking him through this tournament. That would be the problem with great. Ibushi is he only has he can only get to twelve. Right, and like you said, someone would have to win, and then Abushi would by default go in, and that's kind of shallow. Right, he would win the tiebreaker like, with Styles. Yay, go AJ Styles. Oh, wait, sorry, you lost to Abushi. Right, and I think... Like, uh, Styles can't root for, you know, Styles wins that match, he can't celebrate because, uh, fuck. Because he's putting Abushi through. Right, and yeah. And by the so same that's... token, you have Tanahashi wrestling for Shibata. They're not going to do that. They're right. going to have Tanahashi... I'm going to play Eric Guitar because I won the match, but I'm not going to the finals, so... Right. Yeah, that's... It doesn't that's... make any sense. They're going to have those guys wrestling for themselves, so... Um, and it's going to go on last. I know they haven't announced that yet because they don't want to give it away. But I mean, about the Naito. What about the Naito run? The surprise Naito run, Joe? Well, let's. Gato got the pencil well, out and got the eraser. Let's work and, it out. He has yeah. he has eight, okay, and he's got. Look at the, look at who he's got. He's got Yano. Yeah. He's got Gallows. Yeah. And on the final night, he has Bad Luck Fale. So, uh, I think he's got Tenzan. Oh, I'm sorry, Tenzan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Tenzan on the final. <laughs> I mean, he can lose the tens on. Yeah. Ten. In fact, that there's there's. Yeah, tens on sick of his shit. Just like fuck you, shut up. <laughs> like, matter of fact, I think that's how it's gonna play out. I think. Take your damn suit off, and I'm gonna. I think Shimagoli <laughs> and chop you to death. I think tens on will eliminate him. Um, but but will it even matter? What were his results against Tanahashi and Styles? Uh, Naito. Um, he beat Tanahashi, right? He beat Tanahashi, and he beat Styles. He has wins over both of those guys. Yep. So that's exactly mm-hmm. what's going to happen. He's going to win his next two, and he's going to be in a position where if he beats Tenzon, he advances. Because then the Tanahashi Styles uh, result it doesn't matter. So Tenzon is going to beat Naito on the final night. Right? Well, thanks, thanks for the spoilers, Joe. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Well, I doubt... only way... No, I mean, he's not going to lose to the fa- – uh, 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 who do we say? Uh, oh, Gallows. I mean, no chance. No chance whatsoever. And then he's not going to lose to Yano. I mean, maybe the Yano one, but that doesn't make any sense either. It makes more sense with Tenzan being the, the heroic win. Basically, we just ruined the G1 for everybody. It's going yep. to come down to Tanahashi versus Styles. Winner moves on. And Nakamura Okada winner moves on. I would pretty much bet the ranch that Naito is going to get upset by Tenzan on the final night. They're not going to. He has to lose because if he doesn't lose... He moves on, and the Tanahashi Styles match ends up meaning nothing um, because he has the tiebreaker over both of those men. Um, before we put this baby to bed, let me just double check and make sure that's true. Yeah, we know that he beat Tanahashi, mm-hmm. and yeah, he beat Styles on night seven. Yep. Right. So, yeah, so Naito's going to get knocked out by Tenzan, and uh, the A block is then going to come down to Tanahashi and Styles. You could. Have Abushi win all of his matches and get knocked off by Makabe, and that would officially eliminate him. Um, 
you know, but that's what's going to come down to him. Block B is going to come down to Nakamura and Okada. So um, from that standpoint, do you still have the same final that you had coming in? Yep. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah, I think I. Uh, yeah, I, I went with uh, Tanahashi and Nakamura in the in the final from the beginning in my pick'em and all that sort of stuff, and I, I still have Nakamura winning it. I think it, we, we've seen. You know, we, he's going to, he's got through the injury. You know, they obviously told him to stay in the tournament for all that. It, it, he's fine. He, he's winning it, and it just makes more sense. It makes the most sense. It's the best way to book. It, it's I'm fine with it as well. I didn't need a bunch of you know surprises along. I mean, there's there's been surprises, booking surprises along the way, and different ways to get there. But the the the, the path to get there and the final result. I think it's the best move. I think that's perfect. It's kind of a double-edged sword. They could have manipulated the matchups a little bit so that people couldn't figure these sorts of things out. We were going to do it. We do this every time. I think halfway through the tournament, pretty much every year, we've decided pretty much. Yeah, but, but this was very blatant because the two matches are Tanahashi Styles and Nakamura Okada. And it's like they could have done those matches earlier in the tournament and then maybe done Tana, the Tanahashi Ibushi match on this night or the Nakamura mm-hmm. but, but the thing is, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, when it comes down to predictability versus business, they've got to sell these shows out. Exactly. Let's, let's remember these are in sumo halls. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you've got to draw fans. So you've got to give them those big matches on those nights. And it looks like they're going to sell out the six straight nights in Tokyo. So uh, business always takes precedence over everything else. And, you know, these shows are going to do massive business. Now, with that said... One thing we did not talk about on the show with Rob McCarron and one thing we haven't addressed on this show yet was the wacky business patterns of New Japan right now where sort of the smaller shows, the Corican shows and some of these G1 early G1 shows have not done well lately. No. Um, but what's weird is they're having their best year in a long time in terms of the big shows doing well. Uh, they did their biggest Tokyo Dome uh, attendance figure that they've done in many years as that figure continues to go up each year. Uh, they sold out Sumo Hall for a non-G1 show for the first time in ages, and they sold out uh, a building that they've been afraid to run for 20 years uh, in Osaka at the Osaka Castle Hall um, for a pay-per-view as well. So from the standpoint – and all of the other pay-per-views have, have sold out. They've, everything's done well, or, yeah. or have been, you know, to full near capacity. It's the it's your it's your uh, rank and file tour shows, and it's your cork and hall shows that have shown dips. This is weird, and I can't make sense of it. The only hypothesis I have come up with, and I posted this on our forums, is maybe the fans are catching on that these house shows don't fucking mean anything, and. Why should we go to these silly house shows with these eight-man tag main events when they're completely inconsequential uh, to, to, to the storylines or anything that goes on? They're not giving us important matches, so why should we bother? Whereas pe- fans are still buying tickets in droves to the big shows and the pay-per-views. In fact, uh, buying more tickets than ever to the, to the big shows. And, and that pattern has followed suit with the G1. The earlier G1 shows with the weaker main events have not done well at all at the gate. But yet the final six nights in Tokyo are all sold out already, including three straight nights in, in, uh, in Sumo Hall. So uh, what do you make of all this? Yeah, and I think I think there's something to that. And I think uh, another thing that's been mentioned as well, uh, and I'll, I'll go – actually, I'll go with your point first and then we'll talk a little bit. I think absolutely. I think knowing that when you're going to go to these house shows – and, and this is happening with WWE as well. It's happening with a lot of sports in general is that when you know that you're going to these – you know, you know it's an inconsequential event. You know it's just kind of there, and and people aren't going nuts for house shows anymore. Just going there and seeing the stars of New Japan is not enough anymore. 
Because and, and that it could be a, a double edged sword a lot of ways is the New Japan world and being as accessible as it is and every Korkin shows on there and we know sort of know this stuff that you might have a bunch of guys in Japan and I know it's this way for me with some stuff in entertainment wise it's this way for me sometimes in sports wise is sometimes I get home from work and I go you know what I could go to the White Sox game but I'm just gonna watch it you know whatever it's not a big deal I'll watch it on TV I'll do this sort of thing I wonder if there's a lot of people in Japan that just say you know what this show's got nothing on it I'll, if you know if I'm slightly mildly interested I'll watch it on New Japan World for you know nine. 999 yen, but I'm not going to go there to watch something that's not worth anything. And as you brought up as well, we, we've looked at it. I mean, Cork and Hall, these shows are not worth anything. <laughs> but there's been one title match the entire year at Cork and Hall. One title. And it was an NWA yes, title match. Yes, one so. title match all year in Cork and Hall. And it was an NWA title match. All the other main events in Cork and Hall have been multi-man tag team matches. They're simply not. This is why everyone, you know, and the other thing is, when the, and, and, and the Cork and Hall numbers didn't dip until the summer. And yeah. the reason I don't really see that as a red flag where some other people do is, people, the Cork and Hall numbers always dip in the summer. Super Juniors never sells out Cork and Hall. And the Cork and Hall – look it up. I'm not making this up. You go back historically. Just go back the last three or four years. The Cork and Hall numbers always dip in the summer. And then when you combine that with the fact that they've given terrible cards to the Cork and Hall shows – Okay. Yeah. In past years, every now and then they throw a title match in a Cork and whether it's you know they're not giving away IWGP heavyweight title matches in Cork and Hall, but you were getting they're not even given never title. Matches yeah, that's what I mean. In years Cork past, they'd throw a never title match. They'd throw a tag team title match. They'd throw a Prince Devitt singles match. You know what I mean? After he turned heel, he had the match versus Gato in Cork and Hall, which was a huge match. And it's like they're not throwing Cork and Hall any bones anymore. And I think the fans are picking up on that. And then the summer came, and everything else. And the other thing is. They're also burning out Tokyo. Cork and Hall, all these other companies are running more you shows. Want, I, have, I have some numbers I'm going to run for you. Do you want, you want some numbers yeah. of the amount of shows that have been at Cork and Hall this year? Yes. And this is according to Cage Match, and I assume that they have just about everything here, but maybe they're missing some things. Anyway, 2015, they've been 112 shows thus far at Cork That's and Hall this insane. year. That's insane. It's Aug- It's the first week of August. <laughs> 112. So, I mean, you know, you combine... Not just Tokyo. That's just Cork and Hall. just Cork and Hall. That's not the whole city. What was last year? 168 last year. For the year. For the entire year. They're going to blow that number away. Yeah, so, you know, there's burnout in the building uh, in terms of just raw amount, of, you know. And what that really speaks to is, you know, Japan as a whole is getting healthier. DDT is doing very well. Dragon Gate continues to do very well. Noah is doing better in Cork and Hall now. You know, touching 1,800 uh, fans now, and 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 these companies are running the building more often. And the other thing is that has contributed to that. They have that smaller configuration of the building now. Mm-hmm. Okay, and now these companies aren't scared to do it anymore. Right. They can... So the smaller companies are now running Cork and more, and that's why they're going to more than double. They're probably going to do – you think there will be 220 shows this year? It will be close, right? Oh, yeah. You know, they're going to double the amount of shows in that building. And so when you combine that with the fact that New Japan is just not giving that building shit, I mean they're giving them terrible cards. Well, you know, it's going to be down a little bit. Plus it's always down in the summer. So that wasn't an enormous red flag for me. To me, that's not that big a deal. Okay? The house show is not doing that well. Again, normally that would be a red flag. But it's kind of tricky when the big shows have done so well. They're having their best year in decades when it comes to their major shows. I mean, that's inarguable. It's crazy the great the, the, how well they're doing with the big shows. So to me, 
I don't know, doing 600 fans instead of 800 fans in some village on a house show isn't that big a deal to me when the pay-per-view sells out and when they're running buildings that they haven't run in 20 years and sold them out. The first red flag for me, I'm going to tell you the, the first red flag for me, was drawing 4,000 fans to Osaka for the G1 show. Yeah. That's bad. That's not 4,000 fans in Osaka for the G1 show was the first time I said, all right, that's bad. That's awful. I can overlook the Corrigans for the reasons we discussed. I could overlook some of the you know, stupid house shows because I think the fans are catching on, that they don't mean anything. And I think that New Japan knows that the fans are catching on because if you recall before the G1, they've been throwing some of these house shows a bone. Okay, they did the never title match on a on a uh, house show. They did a couple NWA title matches on house. You remember Tenzan defended against Kojima on a house show. Liger defended against uh, Tiger Mask on a house show yeah. a couple of months ago. And, you know, we noted that we're like, you know, that's funny that they're throwing these house shows a bone. And, you know, that never title match did very well. That sold out that house show. putting that net. So. I think they recognize that they need to beef up these house shows a little bit. I just think they're trying to find their footing and figure out a way to do it. But 4,000 fans in Osaka for a G1 show that had a decent main event, that's not good. I don't remember exactly what the main event was. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Uh, the 8-1 show was – I got it right here. Uh, that was Goto, uh, Goto Okada. Goto Okada. Yep. And they drew 4,500 fans in Osaka. Uh, Nakamura and Ishii was the, uh, the seminar. Uh, that's a good show. That's a good There's show. no yeah. excuses. In Osaka, which has been traditionally a pretty good crowd which for them. Is, they just sold out yeah. Osaka Joe Hall in the same city. Exactly. Right. Which actually <laughs> may have contributed a bit to this number. Yeah. Because, you know, everybody bought tickets to that show. Maybe they figured, ah, this is like, Fuck what, it. the fourth or fifth G1 show. We'll pay attention when they get to Sumo. You know? So, but, but to me, that's, th- there's no spin here. 4,500 in Osaka, that's a terrible mm-hmm. number in that building. You can't run 40, you can't have to put 4,500 fans in that building, especially with those two matches. You just can't. So to me, that's kind of the first one that was a little shocking to me. And of course, some of these other early G1 shows haven't filled the building either, which mm-hmm. has to be worrisome. But, um, you know, they're running, what is it, 17 or 19 shows? Yeah. I don't think that this format, you're going to see this next year. No, and, and that's what I was going to ask you too. Is, is okay. So now, what what do we do for this? Is there something you know, looking on the on the bigger sense? Maybe we'll leave out the house shows for now. We'll see how the rest of the year kind of goes as far as that goes. But for the G one, wh- what do you do? What do you correct? Because you really can't do this again. You've made you've made these shows essentially complacent, and you've made them not as. Spe- I mean, fans are basically going, yeah, okay, they, it's not a big well, deal. They, I can miss this. Maybe, you don't want them to miss the show. You don't want them to ever want to miss the G1 show. You don't want to ever make them think that a G1 show isn't important enough to buy a ticket. The people in Osaka should have said, fuck, there's a G1 show coming here and, and, and knocking each other over to get tickets, and it didn't happen. Which is people what said, they eh. would do when there was 12 shows, and every right. one of them was They stacked. would say, I need to watch this show. I need to be here. I need to see this. This is going to be incredible. Now they're saying, you know what? Nah, I'll watch it on New Japan World. It's fine. But when Kadani looks down at the books and sees that, okay, we ran, is it 19 or 17? I don't want to throw out the wrong number. 19, um, 19 in full, okay, yeah. There's 19 G1 shows. If he looks down at his ledger and says, all right, we ran 19 shows as opposed to 12 shows, and overall we made a shit ton more money even though we didn't fill all these buildings, isn't that more advantageous to his business? Uh, it's, it's sort of like the UFC thing. UFC yes. oversaturated the market with, you know, they run every weekend. But 
and and all of the pay-per-view now you know this year their pay-per-view business has bounced back so it's a bad year to use an example but let's use last year as the example and the year before where their pay-per-view business was down okay it, it became a quantity business where it's just let's just run as many shows as possible and just okay they may not do as well as if we ran half as many but um, we're going to make more raw money because we're running more shows. Will New Japan look at their ledger here and say, well, okay, we may not have sold out all of these shows, but we made more money because we ran more shows. And we still sold out Tokyo for the last six nights. I don't know how they're going to view that. I don't know if they're going to view some of the poor attendance early in the show as an embarrassment and say, we can't have this. We have to have packed buildings. We have to have the perception of a hot product. We can't put 4,000 people in Osaka. Or if they're just going to say, look, money talks. We made more money this year than we did last year, even though last year we sold out 90% of the shows, and this year we only sold out 50%. I don't know. I, I have no way of knowing. What would you do? I would go back to a, to a different form. I don't, I, the 19 to me has been – See, from my standpoint, is I don't mind. I don't mind the way this format's been. I think in general, it's been easy to watch these shows. I said I'm burnout anyway, but I get burnout regardless if there was 12 shows or whatever, just because there's so much going on. Wasn't so was easy either. No, I mean let's let's be honest. People are acting like that was just a, a priest. I mean that was that was just these voluminous like four hours of just incredible shows that you had to watch every. This one I can get in and out in 90 minutes. Pretty much. So that in that respect, it's not the worst because I, you know, of course, I'm skipping a lot of the tag matches. So from my personal standpoint, I don't mind it because I can get in and out pretty quick. You're running I'm, New Japan. What are you doing next year? If I'm running New Japan, I think it, it, it depends. Like you said, if if we're making more money, I'm gonna say from from a standpoint of yeah, I, it would be cool to have these full arenas and it's it's a better perception that everywhere we go, we're sold out and doing that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, if I'm a businessman and we're making more money with this format. I kind of weigh that a little bit and say, you know what? Hey, let, let's let's see. And if there's a year where where we next year we do this again and it goes down, then I sort of look and go, okay, all right. Well, let, let's let's. But really, if at the end of the day your goal is to make money and that's what they're doing, and and less so of let's pack these arena, let let's you know let's instead worry about making money versus you know this perception of of you know a hot crowd and a packed arena and that sort of stuff. But to this thing, you know, I, for me, yeah, I, I'd want to make the more money. But I, I see that from the other standpoint too. I mean, that's a big deal as well from a perception standpoint. Is and that Osaka show, I, I remember that well when they were panning the crowd. You saw a bunch of empty seats. And if I'm a fan at home, I kind of go, oh, geez, what's you know, what's that all about? Because you don't see that very often. It, it, it's striking year, to see that. No, last year they filled the buildings and then they ended the tour in a half-empty dome. Mm-hmm. So you knew they weren't going back to the dome this year. Okay, this year they're running the tour. In, in half-empty buildings. And to be fair, some of the more recent shows have done well. Okay. Yeah. Um, as we creep... Yeah, let's not act like there's a 400 people in these arenas. As we I mean, they're, they're doing okay, the yeah. finish line, we're seeing Phil... You know, it, it's, it, it's very clear that the fans have not felt that the, the first third of this tour was important. I mean, that's clear. Okay? But now on this tour, instead of the half-empty building at the end, we've got the half-empty build, uh, buildings in the beginning, and then they're going to have six packed, crazy houses in Tokyo at the end. Let... Selling out Tokyo six nights in a row, you cannot disregard that. That is that's impressive, especially for a company that hasn't sold out Sumo Hall until a couple of months ago for a non G one show. They're doing right. it three nights in a row after three nights in Corican in a row. This is a lot of the same people buying the tickets. There's going to be plenty of people who are going to be at all six of those shows. That's impressive. So, as a business owner, I look at that personally. What I would do next year. I would run the 19 shows again. Yeah, I would do the same thing. I'm looking at my ledger and I'm saying, 
do I really give a fuck if Aichi has 2,300 people in it instead of 3,000 when I'm making more money overall and I'm packing Tokyo six nights in a row at the end? I'll take more money. Well, it's a difference of, and, and people might have to get used to this, and it's it's a thing that we continue to go on, you know, over time. Is is Kidani? He he loves. You know, who's the guy that he loves the most? Who's who's he model his business after? Vince McMahon. What has Vince McMahon done in the past ten years? Has said, I don't give a shit how many people go to Rockford, Illinois, for a house show. My big events, I want them sold out, and I want a big deal. I want WrestleMania to. I want seventy thousand people in WrestleMania. I don't give a shit what Moline does. You know. Yeah, I hear you. For house shows, they say, fuck it. At the end of the month, I want my big show in a big basketball arena and the rest of the stuff, eh, whatever. And, and, you know, Raw's. And, he cares about Raw's a little bit. longer term, but... he expanded his pay-per-view business from four pay-per-views a year to, you know, mm-hmm. whatever the fuck. He became a big event business it's... versus a, a touring business, right. which it's... is, I mean, maybe that's what New Japan, I'm sure that's part of the thing. It's... And at the end of the day, if you, if you sell out, you know, you make those six major shows and you say these are our big events and the rest of the stuff is negligible, then OK. With that said, you know, they say that Vince always measures his business by how the house shows are doing. I don't, I don't know, know if, he know does if it. that's still true. No, I don't think so anymore. Um, how could you? I mean, he doesn't promote this shit. How would you know? I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know. But it, it, it's I have a feeling, though, they're going to change the format because this seems to be a company uh, under this regime. That will try different things, but they're not afraid to scrap those plans and then do something different if it doesn't work. Um, like last year, for example, you know they didn't they they, they 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 did not even come close to filling that Cebu Dome, so they said fuck it. You know there was talk last year he wanted to run a dome tour. Remember when he was yeah. doing? <laughs> he wanted to run an entire tour in domes of just going to domes, yeah. and then Cebu Dome flopped for the G1 final, and that talk completely went away. And he said, fuck it. And he went back to sumo this year, but he did it for three straight nights instead of just the final night. And it worked. So I don't – the key here is I don't know how he's going to view this. I don't know if they're going to view it as a success because the back end of the tour has been successful. Mm-hmm. The big events. The big, the events, big were, events are going to be big deals. Or yeah. if they're going to view it as a failure because the, the they, they because fans disregarded the early part of the tour. But – it really has matched the pattern of New Japan all year. The big shows have done tremendously yeah. well, better than ever, and the smaller shows are the ones that are sort of tailing off. Do you think that has long-term ramifications? Do you think that's a bad thing? That's the thing. It's hard to get a read on it because if if the house shows and the Corkin shows were down and the big the pay-per-views and the major arena shows were at the same level they were last year where some were hits and some were misses, you know what I mean? Like last year, Yokohama didn't work out. Cebu Dome didn't work out. This year, every big show has been a success. All of them, 100%. So to me, it's very hard to get a read. Is there a groundswell of sort of people losing interest because the smaller shows aren't doing well? Or is it that they recognize that the small shows just don't fucking mean anything? Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer to that. I think if the big shows start to, to start to decline or tail, or tail off, then we have something to look at. Um, to me though, if the big shows continue to be healthy, I mean, they're not just healthy, they're thriving. Um, you can't downplay the fact that they sold out sumo, that they're going to sell out sumo hall four times this year. And you cannot downplay the fact that they filled that Osaka castle hall. You can't downplay mm-hmm. those things. Those and, are and I think massive thing, accomplishments. And, and another thing to mention as well, and I think that what's important to sort of look at is, is 
you know, criticizing those small, you know, attendance at these small shows or whatever. It's not like they're trying to make these small shows anything worth a damn. I mean, they're not. I mean, that's what we're talking about here is it's not like they're saying, you know, here's these IWGP title matches. Here's an IEC title match. Here's an ever open title. And, you know, 4,000 people are coming. They're saying, hey, here's a bunch of fucking tag matches. And that's it. They're making it obvious. They're telling the fans, essentially, look, these don't matter. And... When they did give the fans that never title match on the house, then show, they they responded they, by buying. They so, sold it out. They did four thousand people. So I have a tough time people. saying, "Hey, look at New Japan; they're failing miserably." When they're basically saying, "No, we don't really care about these anymore," and whether that's you know whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, we don't know that yet. But they're not actively trying for these these off end Kurkin shows, like we said right there. They've had one title match, and it's been a new uh, an NWA title match. NWA all they've done in Kurkin this year. Match. They've essentially said, "Kurkin, you know what? We don't really care." Yeah. Is that good? Is that bad? I don't know yet, but it's hard to well, really kind Corkin, of. Well, if Corkin continues to trend downward for the rest of the year after G1, it's bad because it yeah. means that they killed the building with shitty shows, and they did it at the worst time possible because all the other companies are running there a million times, and people sure. are finding better options. But I'm not going to rake them against the, you know, put them in the fire or whatever because. The, the, it's not like they've been putting an effort. Like you can't say, "Hey, they're promoting this great stuff and nobody's buying it." They're promoting shit, and people are giving them responding with shit. They're saying, hey, look, here's a little random six-man, okay, if you want to come, whatever, if you don't, whatever. So that's where I, I have to kind of put it on a scale, too, is you have to look at what the company is trying to do. The company isn't trying to it, – it, it's obvious. They're not actively trying to make those big shows. They're not actively trying to appeal to people, which is weird to an extent point, but, you know, we'll see how it works. Yeah. They're saying pay attention to the big shows, these little ones. Man. If you want to come, you come. If you don't, you don't. Yeah. Now, long term, I don't know if that's we don't know yeah. long term. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.